broaden our minds. Lawrence. From the Ancient One Studio, this is the Cubic Shenanigans Warhammer Podcast. Welcome to the Cube. (laughs) Hello everyone and welcome to episode 120 of the Cubic Shenanigans Warhammer Podcast. I am your host, Dan. And I'm Brendan. Brendan, today we're going to talk about too much of a good... Or maybe bad thing. It depends. <laughs> so we have the Hedonites of Slanash Battle Tome review. So it's the third Hedonites Battle Tome. We'll see if they landed it this time. Uh, the, yeah. Because <laughs> for those that don't remember, the first book that came out in 2019 was unbelievably good. Yeah. And the Battle Tome that came out mm, about a year ago, a little more than that, but, you know, not too long ago. Mm-hmm. Not very good. Yeah. Not very good. I guess it'd yeah. be two years ago. Not very good. We've got a third book, right? This is a 3.0 book, so some optimism here. I quite like it. I'll just say the pendulum does swing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think we're back in the category of 2019, but, but the long and short of it is, I think, much improved. I think it has meaningful play in a competitive environment. So sure. I'm really excited to talk about it because they have some, I think, pretty interesting mechanics that they introduced. Very cool. But that's the show, right? Like, there's yeah. no extra bits, right? We, we're going to do all of our regular other things. Yes. And we're going to talk about this battle zone. Yeah. And then I am going to, uncharacteristically, I'm not usually negative about anything, but it's just gotten to the point now where I need to make, I'm calling it in the notes, a mini rant about distribution and allocation. I think Um, there are a lot of people that are going to feel the same way. Yeah, so that's good. (laughs) But that'll be another thing. But otherwise, Brendan, you're absolutely right on, man. It's all just normal stuff. So let us move on to Whispers from the Warp. Hello. My name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. Brendan, your hobby bench. Yeah, I've been working on the Skaven. It's not all going to be totally done in time for Rubicon. Thankfully, no paint requirements. I will still play it. I will still hobby it up on the other side just to make sure that I meet the expectation (laughs) for what people bought into. Yes. So... But that's what I've been working on from a hobby perspective. Sure. I, I mean, you saw the bit oh, I did yeah. have painted. Oh, yeah, it looked great. It looks I'm, good. I'm pretty happy with what I've done so it far. It does look good. Yeah. You don't have to paint anything. You've been done for <laughs> a while. I ended up making a final change to my Sylvaneth list for Rubicon. So I ended up finishing up another 10 dryads, but that took mm-hmm. no time. So really, to your point, I have nothing. I've kind of put my Celestin prime on hold i still want to paint that model because i was having a lot of fun painting something that wasn't sylvaneth but that is down the road since there's no pressure for me to finish it anymore because i've kind of slotted back in my ancient so yeah that's really it and i've had a lot of other stuff going on that i just really haven't spent a whole lot of time on the hobby bench so sure. yeah that happens right first thing when it comes to releases i wanted to announce and i think most people who care about this or very much aware, but Frosthaven has finally, after a very long time, been released to 
the stores. I walked into Games Universe. Oh, the other, I, I'm like, what are you talking about? It's Dan? the it's a diff- sequel to Gloomhaven, essentially. It's not a Games Workshop product. Yes, That's why okay, I yeah. That's why people okay. are like, what? And I saw the box, Brendan. It's just ginormous. <laughs> it's like the Gloomhaven yeah, it's box. It's like two hundred dollars. Yeah, it's huge, monstrous. I'm so happy for the people who loved Gloomhaven, who really looked forward to this, that it's finally available and people can get it on the table and start running their five-year-long campaigns <laughs> on these things. Very, very exciting for you. Anyway, pre-orders. We have the Seraphon Army Box, which of course sold out within moments. We'll talk about that. In terms of drops, we have our Soul Blight and OBR. The usual stuff. We got Vanguard boxes. We have the individual two new models. We got the Oss Effector for the Bone Reapers, and we have Evia Volka, who's the Soul Blight new vampire. I'm interested to see her rules, to see what she does or doesn't do. In terms of heresy, we have a bunch of contemptors, and they're kind of kitted out by Legion, which is kind of interesting. So they have different weapons loadouts based on the Legion, I guess, kind of theme. We have a Sicarian Venator, which is just a giant, you know, monster laser on a tank. And then the Cerberus heavy tank. Now this thing is amazing. It's in plastic now. I actually had one of these things, Brendan, when it was resin, and it was literally just a giant block of resin. It was so heavy. And basically, it was the body, and the two sets of treads were just solid resin. I believe it. Glued them to the side, and I'm like, holy mutt, man, I gotta lift this thing? Throw it at somebody? (laughs) (laughs) It's a super heavy, but man, it was so cool. It was really, really a neat model. In 40K, of course, we have Azrael and the Lion and Retinue, which, surprisingly sold out almost instantly. (laughs) The Seraphon and the Lion. Clear the floor. Dan's got a rant coming. (laughs) It's not going to be a big one, but, you know, it's just like I'm shocked that this happened. So I'm going to take everybody back for a brief time when we had a 40K box that came out. Yep. And if we remember... Does it called Indominus? Yeah. And if we remember fans of Games Workshop that, in my opinion, Games Workshop very much used their distributors to gauge the demand for this product. And they were wrong. And they got a really good count of what the real demand was. And then didn't even come close to meeting it. And it just felt so manipulative to me the way they did that. And of course you had, and I never blame the aftermarket people who sell stuff for three times the price or whatever. Look, if they get their hands on it and they want to do that, that's their business. You know, and Games Workshop obviously doesn't care because they sold the product. They made the money off the product. Well, and they're also not doing anything necessarily in a meaningful way from reducing the the means for these scalpers to get. Right. You know. Right. They're not controlling it. They're not controlling the again the allocation. That's an allocation. I have no issue with like like if you went to the store and you picked up your one copy and you yeah. wanted to flip it, fine. Right. Right. I have the issue with the people using technological means and they of, they buy ten. And they all they sell all those for double, triple the price, right? right? Exactly. And again, to your point, it's an allocation and distribution that they have the means. It's 2023 to control, but they failed to do so. And the other issue is we still now, all these years later, it seems like years, are having the same issues again and again and again where things are selling out right away. Here's a perfect example where things are, you know, we came up with the pre-order thing, Brendan. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a great deal. If I pay for it, I can pick it up. Well, sorry, fans. Oh, we did for Soul Blight, though. <laughs> right. But not this one. But yeah, right? Yeah. That doesn't work. The pre-order thing is a joke because people who pre-order stuff in... There's a very real example even now with our two books that we ordered mm-hmm. for 
you know, our next couple episodes for Soulblight and OBR. I ordered that from Warpstorm almost three weeks ago. They still don't have it in. And I ordered it on the pre-order weekend. That's unacceptable. For a company that's been doing this for more than 30 years and makes millions and millions of dollars... I don't want to hear anything from any of their corporate people. Oh, we had this great thing or we're going to hire this new person or we're going to fix it. No, you're not. You haven't fixed it. It's gone on again and again and again and again. I'm just going to call out GW for who and what they are. They're a company that, in my opinion, see, I have no stake in the game here. I don't have any vested interest, but they need to be called out for this kind of behavior because 95% of the people who consume these products can't get them early. They don't have access to those kind of things. And so they have to just hope that they can get their hands on this stuff or they have to wait months or however long to get their hands on this stuff. And it's not fair to the consumers because GW can fix this stuff, Brendan. And that's what's so frustrating and galling to me is that they can, but they don't. And then they push other things that we're supposed to be excited about when they can't fix the basic things that they need to fix as a company that produces product. That's it, fans. You can sit back now. The other Dan's coming back. I just needed to get that out there. Within that, I'd be, right, this is my professional side coming out. I'd be very interested to understanding where their bottlenecks lie exactly, Mm -hmm. right? Like, is it strictly a manufacturing capacity problem, which... For a time, that absolutely was the case because um, they had recognized a bandwidth issue and they had basically started building a factory from scratch. And, yep. you know, is the issue distribution? Is it manufacturing? Is it understanding and measurement of demand? Mm-hmm. Right? You know, where is the disconnect? Because if their factory is running all out OEE at 80%, cool. That's great. Happy for them, right? You know, that's right. solid, solid metrics and numbers to hit. And my response to that would be good customer service of a company that really cares about their paying customers would say then if they know that's an issue, if they know they have capacity limitations, then say the lion's coming out, the Seraphon box is coming out. We have a limited number of these. Tell us beforehand. It may get sold out quickly. We understand we're going to get the others. You know, just make a statement to acknowledge the fact that customers should be informed. Agreed. Not pushing back on any of that. I understand. Right? This is the engineer in me going I get like, <laughs> where is the problem? Yeah, sure. What is the cause of it, right? There's so many reasons. You know, there's, sure. there's so many reasons so many things can go wrong. I've seen it myself, right? You know, where you're not able to get your hands on the right kind of resin that you're looking for. Sure. That's probably not the case. They have just kind of a lock, stock, and barrel <laughs> resin formulation that they use. Right. That they order in a volume where I imagine they have a fair bit of leverage in, in getting their quantities. Right, Yeah. Do they have enough machines? Is it the warehouse can't get stuff out? Like, you know, what is keeping that product off of your front door? Mm-hmm. Could it be the boxes, right? You know, mm-hmm. like, yeah. I don't know. I don't know, Brendan. And I, I do uh, see the frustration because it used to be right where w- when they did have this issue, like you were waiting a couple weeks. It was frustrating. Mm-hmm. But, you know, later in here, man, you're still waiting on your dead tree siege book. Yeah. What the heck? Agreed. Because that's never happened before with any of the other siege books. Anyway. We're going to move on. I've finished that book. I've moved on to another one. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's how long this has taken. Yeah. Is I've almost finished a second book. I get you, man. Moving on. So games played other than Sigmar. I have two games that I'm just loving right now. So the first one is I broke out again my b17 flying fortress leader board game the world war ii mm-hmm. kind of solo like thing. A, yeah solo game yeah and i had mentioned this i know listeners 
you know, I had played it a little bit and tried it out and really enjoyed it, but I'd never really played a whole campaign. I actually finished the first campaign, which is called The Air War Begins. It runs from August to December in 1942. And it was just fascinating. I literally got the feel that I was an air group commander commanding bomber groups and having to make decisions and the variables that take place. You know, you send groups out to do bombing. It's a game. You know, of course, 100% of your bombs are going to hit the target. Well, no, that doesn't happen. You get some weeks because it plays by week where your bomb groups can't hit a thing, even the experienced ones, right? But then you get the next week where you destroy like three targets. It's so gratifying. There's a mechanic when you're outbound to a target, you have to pick an event card. And when you're inbound back to home base, you have to pick another event card. It could be anything, but they're all historically things that you know would have happened. And so even though you're planning and you're really meticulous and your decision-making and stuff, you get the feel of what it must have been like to be these commanders in the situations where there were still so many variables out of your control that you do the best you can, you send your people out, Hopefully most of them come back. And that was another thing I got a feel for. So most of these bomber groups had 16 to 20 aircraft. By the end of a month of operation, I had lost like 35% of some of my bomber groups. And I was just thinking like, that's like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of men that died going out. You get the feel for that. It's a lot of people. And it was just really, really cool. So I love it. Just a great game. My next campaign is actually Operation Crossbow, which is where the Allies went after all the V-weapon sites in like Belgium, Holland, Northern France. So that should be really fun to see how that works out. The other game that I'm enjoying thoroughly is MechWarrior 5 Mercenaries. I got that joystick rocking, man, it's all good. (laughs) But what's fun about it is, again, you get the feel for what it's like running a mercenary company because it's not just putting together your mechs, sending them out on the battlefield. You gotta pay bills, you gotta hire pilots, you have to get mechs, you have to upgrade them, you have to repair them constantly. After every single contract that you take, you got to repair your mechs. And that takes time. Sure. You know, so it's like, it's not like a game where I repair my mech, boom, it's done. It's like, it could be two weeks, it could be four weeks, you know? And you get a feel for the other piece of it besides just, kind of like with your racing games, Brendan, mm-hmm. you do the racing, but there's that other component that's just as important. When will I get my transmission upgrade? <laughs> right? They're electric cars, they're not transmission. <laughs> it's so cool. So that's Ooh. been very, very satisfying. Brendan, how about you, bud? This past weekend's Advanced Wars 1 and 2 Reboot Camp came out. It is a remake of a Game Boy Advance game that I grew up playing. That's awesome. And super easy game to remake. I'm surprised they haven't done this with more games. They basically redid the graphic. You know, they added some animations. They, you know, added some, like, voiceover and and some stuff like that. But it's fundamentally the same game. It's a turn-based strategy game in which, you know, you have different commanders who have different positives and minuses and, you know, with the different kinds of troops that they lead and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And you run through these different scenarios on these different maps where you're given different kinds of win conditions. So I powered through the first game. Okay. And they released the 1 and 2 version of that game in, in one package. So I powered through the first game. Working on 100%ing it to get all my coins and everything. Then I'm like, go do the second game. The fun in this game really opens up when you have access to all the commanders. Okay. So, like, you play your friends and stuff. Oh, um, all right. And, all right. like, that's where the most fun in this game is. Like, is the it's, interactive piece Yeah. Of- even playing the computer is fun. Mm. I really miss that in a lot of games where you can't just 
play the computer. You can't just be like, all right, I'm gonna play the computer. Like you can't play some of these shooter games where you're just gonna play the computer and you decide that like, I'm gonna only use pistols, right? Like, you know, <laughs> you're like, I'm gonna do something crazy. You can't do it in so many games anymore, but that's what I played this weekend while I was laid up. Sure. You know, icing a busted up knee. And then Sigmar Games, you and I played. Yes. Between our last show. If and, we will call you know, it a game. I turned your trees into sawdust. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, six storm fiends are just stupid nasty there yeah and imagine yeah. what 12 do oh man yeah because that's what i saw on the board yep, it sure is <laughs> and hopefully this weekend i won't see that again opposite me somewhere on any other table but mine it Next was instructive me, but not across from me it was instructive and that's fine they do some damage they really do. And I think one of the things I had learned was if there is some way, and I don't know how that would be, if there is some way to take out those three or four heroes of yours, mm-hmm. it would definitely put a dent into yes, it does. that army's ability to function. Yes, it does. Yeah. So anyway, that was good. You know, always learning stuff. Events, Kansas City Open for you. Yep. It's coming up coming in about up. a month, about five weeks, six weeks. Midwest Meltdown is happening. Yeah, you signed up. Which is very cool. Yeah, I did sign up. Did you? Not yet. I don't know what's, you know. Oh, yeah, for you. I have some open-ended commitments, so I might be a a late ad. But it was exciting. I'm looking forward to going down there and rolling some dice in uh, Bloomington. And I got the hotel. I'm all signed up, ready to go. So that's really cool. And I like the fact that, as it was before, it's like in the second or third week in July. So I've got Rubicon now. I've got that in July. Then in October, I've got a couple of tournaments. Mm -hmm. And I'm hoping, you know, from what Dave said next time, there'll be some one-dayers in the interim on either side of that so I can keep playing this list and enjoy it in an active... Yeah, make whatever changes come around, right? Mm-hmm. You know, the battle scroll comes out, you get the new handbook. Whatever changes are going to roll around because... You know, right, the more you play, typically the better at the game you're going to be. So. Yeah. The other thing I was thinking would be fun in one days is maybe to play an Alarial list. I'm not oh. going to not going to take it to a five game tournament. Well, you don't know that, right? I don't until I play her. But I think that would be interesting, and I've got almost everything I need already. So you know, see how that works when we start hearing about these one-day events. So that's cool. Of course, NashCon and Siege World in August are still there. You're still kind of up in the air with NashCon? They're effectively sold out. I, both of those okay. right now, right? I said no to those as well. Okay, um, again, for, might, for reasons. Again, might be a late ad as well. Okay. Dragonfall, the early registration signups are going to go live soon? I think, wasn't it this weekend or the this weekend? weekend? At, no, it was t- soon. I did soon. see the Facebook post. Yeah. Soon, TM. Uh, <laughs> Sure. Yeah, that's so cool. All right. That's it then for Whispers Man. Let's move on to the good, the bad, and the bad. And talk about Eve Knights of Slanesh. Man, what are we, a team? No, no, no. We're a chemical mixture that makes chaos. We're, We're a time bomb. All right. It is time to talk about the hosts of Slanesh. So, Dan, what are your opening thoughts? Well... Because this is a book that has had, or really an army, rather, Mm. that has had a a very mixed history. Mm -hmm. It's been at the highest of highs. It's been at the lowest of lows. (laughs) A lot of optimism for the 3.0 book. Yes. If for no reason other than it lands in the same place as a lot of 3.0 books have. It's less complicated, Mm -hmm. but it has mechanics that are both good and effective and narrative and right it just all slots together nice mm-hmm. i love these books you know like corn had its own special set of rules that made it unique i love the temptation dice 
that we get. You're going to talk mm. about that first thing for us. I love that they have a special mechanic. I don't love it as a player who's going to have to go against them. Sure. But I think it's such a cool way to make this army unique. And it's not a difficult rule. It's not like it's super complicated so that anybody can understand it. It's pretty simple, right? And just like the depravity thing we're going to talk about, we're seeing another set of army-wide buffs. And it's not something we haven't seen before, but it seems to be something we're seeing more regularly now. And I think that's interesting. Like we saw something like that with corn where they had some things that they got enough blood tide points, they could get some army-wide buffs. Sure, yeah, you know, right? you, there's there's, an, there's an exchange to what you have to do. Yes. Right, exactly. There's a cost to it. But still, it's there. The fact that, and this is a scary thing for me as I'm reading through, just the plethora of mortal wounds that can be created by this book is frightening. It truly is. If an army's run the right way, you know, good for them. Yeah. That's fine. You know, it's part of their book. You got to deal with it. And... Good stuff. That's kind of my opening feelings on this thing. Okay. You know, just like I said at the top of the show, I think they got a major improvement from a competitive play standpoint. There are some very interesting things that they do. There's some ways to kind of turbocharge your depravity engine, whatever you want to call it. But it's far from being the most busted thing in the game. There are ways around it. And, you know, we can talk about some of those things as we come across it. One of the things that you'll note right away is uh, pretty fragile. Pretty squishy. Yeah. yeah. Now, if you get to some 36 depravity points, they become less squishy. Yeah. I think a lot of the rules really capture what they're trying to do. Some of the really junk war scrolls got what a lot of 3.0 books have, which is a, an improvement mm-hmm. where you are at least considering it. Coolio. All right. We start with hosts of the Dark Prince, which are the sub-factions. We will talk about those specifically, actually, when we talk about enhancements because of the way the book is structured. But, Brendan, talk to us about the rule temptations of Slanesh, because this is so cool. One of the main ways of getting depravity points is going to be through what are called your temptation dice. So at the start of each battle round, after determining who will take the first turn, you gain a pool of six dice. These are your temptation dice. Each time your opponent makes a failed hit, Wound or save roll, so very specifically those three things, Mm -hmm. you can offer them a temptation dice. If they accept your offer, that roll is replaced with a six. Rolls replaced in this way cannot be re-rolled or modified. Okay, now that can happen in either person's turn. Correct. Okay. So you get six dice for the battle round. Okay. And you have this. There's a designer's note in here that remember that success or failure of a hit roll, wound roll, or save roll is determined after re-rolls and modifiers. So after your opponent's done everything... You can make the offer. Sure. Each time your opponent accepts your offer of a temptation dice, you gain <laughs> D6 depravity points. Jesus. So, right, your range is in the per battle round is 6 to 36. Sure. Assuming acceptance. Yeah, absolutely. Each time your opponent rejects your offer of a temptation dice, the unit for which the roll was made suffers D3 mortal wounds after all of the attacks have been resolved. You cannot offer your opponent temptation dice for the same enemy unit more than once per phase. At the end of the battle round, any temptation dice that have not been offered are lost. So, this is a pretty neat mechanic. There are going to be some armies that are going to kind of have to accept because they don't want to take the mortal wounds. There's going to be situations where you go, I can't afford D3 mortal wounds. I'm at three wounds. I can't afford for them to roll a five or a six if I say no here, but... uh, Yeah. And there's going to be times where you don't want to offer your opponent that six because, (laughs) you know, maybe it's a terror geist. Yeah, right. Uh, Right, yeah, yeah. For sure. (laughs) You have things of that nature. So pretty cool mechanic. You know, you get your pool re-upped every battle round. 
So that's super cool. That's neat. It's not the only way you can get depravity, but that's going to be one of your two main ways of doing it. Yeah. And as you said, it's very situational based on an army. For example, if I'm Nurgle, I don't care. Mm-hmm. Like I got a five foot ward in my whole army. Sure. I'll take those all day. Yeah. And here's the other part of it is if you have an opponent who says no to you, it's going to really change your dynamic in terms of collecting depravity points. It's not the only way, as you pointed out, but it's a significant way. Mm-hmm. To get those, and if you can deny your opponents those points and take the hits, oof, man, it's it's going to make a difference. It's an interesting trade-off. It is. I love it. They have legions of chaos. This is the same as all other, yeah. you know, chaos-based armies. Can't include anything with the keyword corn. Two in every four units can be slaves to darkness. If they have the mark of chaos keyword, they must be given the slanesh keyword. One in every four can be beast of chaos. That does not have the zinch or slanesh keyword. Those units gain the slanesh keyword. Mm-hmm. Their coalition. Yeah. The other method that you have here is euphoric killers, and that's for gaining depravity points. Oh, this one's really good. Once per turn at the start of your combat phase, right? So only yours, not your opponents. Mm-hmm. You can pick one friendly Hedonites of Slanesh unit and one enemy unit within one inch of that unit. So mm-hmm. you have to be not just in combat, but that close yes. to that unit. If you do so until the end of that phase, you gain one depravity point for each wound and mortal wound caused by attacks made by that friendly unit that are allocated to that enemy unit. Mm-hmm. So... There's largely a cap on how much damage you're going to be able to do, sure. not just from your unit, but how much damage that unit is capable of receiving. Yes. And you've also have things in this book, as in others, where you get damage on charges. Mm-hmm. But that wouldn't count here because this is at the start of the combat phase. Correct. So any damage you do during the charge phase would not apply to depravity. Yeah. yeah, so there are a couple other ways to get depravity past this, but mm-hmm. they're very small mm-hmm. relative. So your two main ways are... In the combat phase with your super killing unit and throughout the battle round with your temptation dice. Okay. And so that leads perfectly to, Dan, what can you do with those (laughs) depravity points? Now, you do have a question. If we're going to talk about, listeners, something called Revel and Depravity, which are army-wide buffs, Mm -hmm. and then we're going to talk about the summoning. Now, Brendan, if you have, let's say, for example, 18, let's say you haven't spent them, you have 18, do you have to keep those points to receive the revel and depravity benefit yes so when you talk about these first one is 12 the next one's 24 the next right. one 36 you have to have those points in reserve right to gain access okay. to those tiers and if you drop below those then, it's then it goes away you get back to that okay level i wanted to clarify that because it's not really clear here you have to have that as a separate depravity pool almost that you keep to buff your army in addition to something you would spend on yeah summoning okay the way i look at it as you rush to get to 36, and then everything above 36 is what you're going to use for summoning. Absolutely. And given what we're going to talk about, that's where I know I would be spending my points. So the first one is Tantalizing Torment. And this is, in effect, if you have 12 or more mm-hmm. depravity points. These are all cumulative, by the way. So as you get one, you get the next, they all add up. Subtract one from hit rolls for attacks that target friendly hedonites of Slanesh units anywhere on the board which is really good wow minus one to hit rolls yeah so getting 12 is not difficult at all really the second one is sadistic spite this one you get on 24 or more if you have those in that pool we just talked about cumulative with the 12 yes if the unmodified hit roll for an attack made with a melee weapon by a friendly heat knight's unit is a six that attack causes one mortal in addition to any damage it inflicts 
Nice. Not bad. Not bad. This next one is just bonkers. Okay. So in addition to being minus one to hit and sixes are mortal wounds in addition. Yes. You have Oblivious Indulgence. This is 36 or more. Friendly Heathen Knights of Slanesh units have a ward of five up. That is an army-wide five up ward. Woof. Very, very good. Excellent. So as you said, cumulatively, that's very significant. So you can summon demon units to the battlefield if you collect enough depravity points. If you have any depravity points at the end of your movement phase, end of movement, you can summon one unit from the list below and add it to your army. Each unit shown on the list takes a certain number of depravity points. You can only summon it if you have enough points to do so. Units must be set up more than nine inches away from all enemy units and wholly within 12 of a Hedonites of Slanesh hero. There is an exception to that when we talk about the terrain feature. Terrain feature, yes. 18 for one demonet unit with 10, one vice leader, who's a herald of Slanesh, or one infernal and rapturous. Those are all 18. 24 for a chariot of Slanesh, a unit of seekers with five models, or the contorted epitome. And it's 30 for a bladebringer, or one fiend unit with three models, and 36 for a keeper. All right, Coolio. Some great new rules here. Great start out the door. Yeah, my favorite bit is that it's a keyworded Bladebringer, which means that you can summon the hero. (laughs) Which is Uh, insane. When we talk about that, man. So, Brendan, why don't you talk about the Hedonites of Slanesh unit? Sure. Right, the first unit up is the Keeper of Secrets, the iconic unit for the book. Mm Mm-hmm. Movements 14 down to 8, 4 up save, bravery 10, 16 wounds, a fair number of profiles, some of them you're going to have to choose, the living whip is one of the options, range weapons, 6 inch range, d6 attacks, 3s by 3s, rend 1 damage 1, ritual knife or sinistrous hand, 1 inch range, 1 attack, 2s by 3s, rend 1 damage 1, the great blade which all of them have, 2 inch range, 4 attacks, 3s by 3s, rend 1 damage 2, the impaling claws, 3 inch range, 2 attacks, 3s by 3s, rend 2, damage 5 down to 2. You have to choose between the Living Whip, the Ritual Knife, the Sinistrous Hand, or the Shining Aegis. Mm-hmm. The Keeper is a two-cast, two-unbind wizard. They have a rule. Once per battle in the combat phase, if any friendly units with this ability are on the battlefield, you can pick one different friendly Heathen Knights of Slanesh unit that is wholly within 12 inches of a friendly unit with this ability that has fought for the first time in that phase. That unit can fight for a second time in that phase. Strike last effect applies to that unit when it fights for the second time. Copy and paste from so many books we've talked about, which is great. Then the Living Whip, in addition to the ranged profile, if the unit's armed with a Living Whip, you can pick one enemy unit at the start of the combat phase within six inches of this unit, roll a dice, on a two-up subtract one from the attack's characteristic mm-hmm. to a minimum of one until the end of that phase. Cannot be affected by the same ability more than once per phase. Sure. If you have the Ritual Knife... At the end of the combat phase, you can pick one enemy model within one inch of this unit that has any wounds allocated to it and roll a dice. On a two-up, that model's unit suffers a number of mortal wounds equal to the roll. Excellent. We've started seeing this particular rule a little more often, right? Mm Saving on the dice rolls if you hit the two-up. Yep. Saves you from rolling the one and feeling... Yeah, terrible. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I rolled the two-up and a mortal wound. Now it's just the sadness of nothing. (laughs) The Sinistrous Hand... If it's armed with the Sinistrous Hand at the end of the combat phase, if any enemy models were slain by wounds caused by this unit's attack in that phase, you can heal up to three wounds. If it was an enemy hero, it's six wounds instead of three. Oof, the Aegis so nice. is a ward of a five up, which is not bad. Or you could just get to 36 and you don't and have to have worry about it. Yeah. They have delicate precision. Unmodified wound rolls uh, for this unit that are a six cause a number of mortal wounds to the target equal to the damage characteristic and the attack sequence ends. Mm-hmm. Dark Temptations, once per turn at the start of the combat phase, 
any friendly units with this ability are on the battlefield, you can pick one enemy unit within three inches of a friendly unit with this ability. Right, so just like the excessive violence, multiple keepers doesn't yep. let you do this multiple times. Right. If you do so, your opponent must choose whether that unit resists or gives in to the temptation. If it resists, the unit suffers D3 mortal wounds. If it gives in, you gain D3 depravity points. Mm-hmm. Cool. Small way to get some more points. Nothing crazy, but, you know, it's there. It's thematic. You know, yeah. again, it's Slanesh, temptation, so. And for the first time, you know, like the actual challenge rule isn't nonsense. That's right. Then you have the spell, Cacophonic Choir, casting value of 6, range of 6 inches. If successfully cast, roll 2d6. Each enemy unit within range that has a bravery characteristic of less than the roll suffers d3 mortal wounds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're going to be using other spells. I think so. you got some decent yeah, ones. Wait yeah, wait till we get to the lore spells. Oh, you're yeah. going to be using some other stuff. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of rules on this war scroll, but oof. Yeah, really encouraging you to take one of these. Mm-hmm. You know, not multiples like back in the day, you know, because at 400 points, it's a steep investment, but it's a good, it's a good damage dealer. It's a good force multiplier. It's something if you can summon it late, cool, more power to you, but it's not necessarily the thing that like you're really hard charging towards. Right. Agreed. Then next we have the other Keeper of Secrets, Shalaxi Hellbane. Profile is the same. Living Whip is the same. Impaling Claws are the same. Shining Aegis is the same, a five-up ward. It also has Soul Piercer for a melee weapon. It's pretty good. Yep, like, three-inch range. had more attacks, <laughs> yeah. but yeah. yeah. Three-inch range, two attacks, three by twos. Wow. Ren minus three, and D3 plus three damage. So four to six, okay. Minus three Ren, though. Woof. That's very good. Then we have Cloak of Constriction. Subtract one from hit rolls and wound rolls for attacks made with melee weapons that target this unit. Very good. Delicate Precision. We talked about that already. Irresistible Challenge. At the start of the enemy charge phase, you can pick one enemy hero within 12 inches of this unit and more than three from any other friendly units. If you do so, your opponent must choose whether that hero accepts or refuses Shylaxi's challenge. If they refuse, that hero suffers D3 mortals. If they accept, that hero must attempt a charge and must finish the charge move within half an inch of this unit. If they cannot finish within half an inch that hero suffers d3 mortal wounds instead all right i mean it's fine if i'm going to charge you with somebody who i hope is going to punch you up then i'm just going to do it anyway right and take the hit right killing stroke at the start of the combat phase you can pick one enemy hero within three inches of this unit if you do so all attacks made by this unit in that phase must target that hero but the damage characteristic of this unit's soul piercer is six woof until the end of that phase very good. Wow. And sixes to wound are just six mortal wounds. Boom. Yeah, right. Exactly. Then we have Refined Senses is a spell because both of these Keepers of Secret are two by two wizards. So it has a value of four for casting. So nothing. If successfully cast until your next hero phase, add one to hit rolls and wound rolls for attacks made by the caster that target an enemy hero and add one to save rolls for attacks made by enemy heroes that target the caster. Wow. Can be super tanky. Yeah. Absolutely. 16 wounds with a four up and then you get all these minuses to your hit wounds. Wow. That's just crazed. Yeah. So. The tough part is, is she's spendy. How much? 420. Okay. Yeah. Now, do you want Dexessa or Sinessa, Dan? Your choice, man. I'll do Dexessa because she has the FAQ for her profile. Okay, well, then that's a good thing. The model's beautiful. The model's exceptional. I think the model puts the Keeper of Secrets to shame. Sinessa is the voice of Sinesh. 12-inch move, 9 wounds, 4-up save, 10 bravery. Can fly. Is a war master. So it's treated for general, even if it's not your general. It's a wizard. It's one-by-one wizard. Has two 
Weapons Profile is a missile weapon staff of Slanesh, which has a special rule to not use the attack sequence for an attack made with this unit's staff of Slanesh. Instead, pick one enemy unit within range of your opponent must roll a die for that unit. If the roll is less than the unit's save characteristic, that unit suffers six mortals. <laughs> if the roll is equal to or greater, it suffers three. So at a minimum, this thing is going to do three mortals to somebody. Mm -hmm. So that's pretty punchy there. And then you have Impaling Talons, which it's pretty much the same right for not quite the same as impaling claws so it's one inch range two attacks three by threes minus two two damage so not a lot of hitting power there but that whew, ranged attack is nuts voice of slanesh once per turn this unit can issue a command to a friendly slanesh unit on the battlefield without a command point being spent awesome whispers of doubt the whispers of doubt is a spell that has a casting value of six if successfully cast pick one enemy hero visible to the caster and roll 3d3 so this is visible mm -hmm. it's like anywhere on the board it's just visible as long as you can see them <laughs> it's crazy if the roll is equal to or greater than the hero's bravery characteristic add one to hit wound rolls for attacks that target that hero until the next hero phase that's very good that's not bad all right brandon what about dexessa yep same as Sinessa, except 10 wounds instead of 9, mm -hmm. which is a bummer because that's, you know, well, I guess they're both monsters. But yeah, 10 wounds instead of 9, so you can't hide them in different terrain slots. And and, stuff. Well, yeah, terrain and commanders versus sub-commanders and battle regiments. So Sinessa can, Dexessa cannot. Mm -hmm. Dexessa has an FAQ for their profiles. In the book, it'll show one as a missile weapon. They are both melee weapons. Okay. So the Scourge of Sinesh is range 3 inches Four attacks, twos by threes, rend one, damage two. And Impaling Talons, one inch range, two attacks, threes by threes, rend two, damage two. So you're saying both of those are melee weapons now? Yep. Okay. No missile weapons. Okay, got it. Warmaster, Fleeting Dance of Death. This unit can run or retreat and still charge later in the turn. Awesome. Joyous Battle Fury. After this unit has fought for the first time at the start of each battle round, add one of the attacks characteristics mm -hmm. of this unit's weapons for the rest of the battle. This effect is cumulative. <laughs> Woof. So your goal is to get them in fighting in the first battle round and then stay alive so that you can get more attacks. Then Dexessa is minus one to hit for attacks mm -hmm. that target this unit and has the Scepter of Slanesh. You do not take Battleshock tests for Heed Knights of Slanesh Demon units wholly within 12 inches of this unit. In addition, once per turn, this unit can issue a command to a friendly Heed Knights of Slanesh unit without a command point being spent. Mm -hmm. You know, unfortunately not anywhere on the board, but, you know, just within regular distances for those two, right? So Sinessa's 270, which is fine. Yeah. And then Dexessa is... Shoot. There it is. Also 270. Okay. So. Fair enough. Now I have Celeste, yeah? Yeah, Celeste is great. Vengeful Allegiance. This... Unit has a profile, 8-inch move, 9 wounds, 4 up save, 10 bravery. Has 2 attacks. We have the Axe of Dominion, which is 2-inch range, 4 attacks, 3 by 3s, minus 2, D3 damage. And then the Scourging Whip, which is 2-inch range, 8 attacks. That is 8. Yes, you were here correctly. 3 up, 3 up, minus 1, 2 damage. It is a wizard, 1 by 1. It is a War Master. Then we have the special rule, Deadly Symbiosis. If the number of friendly Hedonites... If mortals are equal to demons... Okay, got it. You got bubble. it. Yeah, yep. Just the way I was reading it. Okay, so mortals equal demons. Just just say yeah. that. Okay, guys, all right. Add one to the hit wound rolls for attacks made by melee weapons by friendly Hedonites units wholly within 18. So if you have an equal number of mortals and demons, add one to hit rolls. Yep. Excellent. Lithe and Swift. Unit can run and charge. 
excellent. A Vengeful Allegiance. If the unmodified save roll for an attack made with a melee weapon that targets this unit is six, you get a one mortal wound bounce back. Subvert is a spell that has a casting value of seven, which is kind of high for this book. It's a good spell. Yeah, though. but it's really weird that most of their spells are pretty low cast, four, five, six. Mm-hmm. Has a range of 18 inches. Is successfully cast, pick one enemy unit within range, invisible of a caster. That unit cannot issue or receive commands until your next hero phase. Pretty good. Very good. And I think the real kicker on this is 215. Yeah, that is just... Yeah. Good unit. So good. All right, mirror, mirror. Yeah, the contorted epitome. 12 inch range, 5 up save, bravery 10, 7 wounds. I have their piercing claws, 1 inch range, 9 attacks, 3s by 4s, rend 1, damage 1. So you're really hoping to get to that 24 point number and, and toss your epitome into combat. <laughs> Boof. Fish for sixes. Coiled tentacles, 3 inch range, 2 attacks, 3s by 4s, rend 2, damage 2. A 2 cast, 2 unbind wizard. Oh, who by the way can re roll casting rolls. Just casting, not unbinding or dispelling. And then they have uh, Horrible Fascination. Enemy units within three inches of a friendly unit with this ability cannot issue or receive commands. <laughs> In addition, enemy units within three inches cannot retreat. Okay. They have a two-up ward against mortal wounds. <laughs> it's so silly. Yeah, not bad. <laughs> and then they have a spell Overwhelming Acquiescence. Casting value uh. six, range 24. <laughs> if successfully cast, pick up to D3 different enemy units within range, invisible to caster. Add one to wound rolls for attacks that target those units until your next hero phase. Very that's nice. pretty good. That's pretty good. Still good. It was good before, and it's really good now. Okay, the next hero we have is the Infernal and Rapturous. Six-inch move, five wounds, five-up save, ten bravery. Has two missile weapons. Well, one, you got to Right, you have to pick, mode. right. Yeah. But there's two... Two uh, versions. Versions, yeah. Two versions of the versions. You have the uh, Heartstring Lyre, which is the cacophonous melody is the first uh, mode. This is kind of like noise marines, you know, have two different modes to their weapons. It's the same your, sort Your of. single shot versus semi-automatic <laughs> exactly. harp, <laughs> yeah. as one has. 18-inch range gives you six attacks. Three by four is minus one, one damage. Or you can do the Euphonic Blast, which is 24 inches, one attack. Twos by twos. Wow, nice. Minus three D3 damage. It's only one attack, but still, that's pretty cool. Yeah, if right. you need to do a very specific amount of damage, then yes. That is the way to... Not a bad shot. Discordant Disruption. If the casting roll for an enemy wizard within 24 with this ability is successful, that casting roll must be re-rolled. Ooh, nice. If the re-rolled casting roll is a double, or if one of the dice re-rolled is a six, that wizard suffers D3 mortal wounds after the effect of the spell has been resolved. Okay, sure. Chip damage is chip damage. That's pretty good. Uh, yep. Versatile instrument. Each time this unit shoots, choose either the Cacophonous Melody or the Euphonic Blast. Yes, got it. 120 points, yep. Galatian Champion. Not bad. So she could get off that Discordant Disruption multiple times if multiple wizards cast. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah, it's any wizard. It, it's just an AoE. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's pretty powerful. All right. Now the mask. The mask. Yep. 10-inch move, 5-up save, bravery 10, 5 wounds, which you're saying is pretty low for a <laughs> character like that, but she's not bad, I'll tell you. Razor Edge Claws, 1-inch range, 6 attacks, 3 by 3s rend 1, damage 2. At the start of your hero phase, you can either add 3 of the attacks characteristics of this unit's melee weapons until your next hero phase, or heal up to 3 wounds allocated to this unit. It's 9 attacks at 3 by 3s Wow, that's... 
Yeah, so you got to make the choice right in healing in that moment or mm-hmm. be nine attacks. Right. The <laughs> unit can run and still charge later in the turn, which is pretty good. But you almost might not even need it because after deployment, but before the first battle round begins, you can remove this unit from the battlefield. If you do so, set it up again anywhere within your opponent's territory more than three inches from all enemies. <laughs> three <humans>. inches? <laughs> Hello? 140 points to shut off lots of pregame abilities. Inhuman reflexes, this unit has a ward of a four up. Solid. Oh, yeah. Very nice. 140 points to do that's insane. to do that. Like that's insane. What an incredible like I don't even want to say throwaway unit. You can use it to just ruin your opponent's plan by yep. just being there early. Mm-hmm. Or targeting something that's really important. I mean, with yeah. nine attacks, you, you got a really good chance of Doing something. Yeah, doing something crazy, right? All right, then we have the... First of many <laughs> chariot heroes. <laughs> yes. The Bladebringer is the first one. We have 12-inch move, and it's a Bladebringer herald on a Seeker chariot. 12-inch move, 8 wounds, 4-up save, 10 bravery. We have 3 profiles, flinching whips, and these are all melee. 2-inch range, 6 attacks, 3 by 4s, minus 1, 2. Damage, piercing claws, 1-inch... Four attacks, three by fours, minus one, one damage, and poisoned tongues. One inch, four attacks, three by fours, no rend, one damage. Unit is a one by one wizard. Mutilating blades. After this unit finishes a charge move, roll a dice for each enemy unit within one inch on a two up. D3 mortals, impact hits. Thrill Seeker. While friendly Seeker Chariot units are wholly within 12 inches of any friendly units with this ability, add one to the number of mortal wounds caused by mutilating blades. Well, and they're a keyworded Seeker Chariot wholly within 12 inches themselves. Yeah. So their impact hits are actually D3 plus one damage all the time. Nuts. Impossibly Swift can retreat and charge. Oh, oh, you did impact hits. Yeah, wow. (laughs) Boom, boom. Acquiescence is a spell, has a casting value of 5, range of 18. Pick one enemy unit within range, invisible to the caster. Add one to wound rolls for attacks that target that unit until your next hero phase. Boom, those wound rolls all go from 4s to 3s if you cast it on this unit. I'll save some time and confusion. Yeah. The non-character version of this is exactly the same. Yes. They are just 6 wounds instead of 8. Yeah. They are four attacks instead of six on the flensing whips and three instead of four on the piercing claws. Okay. They just don't have a spell. They yeah. still have impact hits. They still have retreat and charge. Yep. Like Yeah, we will skip secret chariot. Seems yeah. good. Yeah. Then you have the Bladebringer Herald on Hellflayer. You're going to see some very familiar things about this character. 12-inch move, 4-up save, bravery 10, 9 wounds. They have their Ravaging Claws, which are 1-inch range, 6 attacks, 3s by 4s, Ren 1, damage 2. They have Poison Tongues, which are the same, and Piercing Claws and Flensing Whips, which are the same, except that they're 6 attacks. <laughs> one cast, one unbind wizard. They have Soul Sense, which is the rule for Hellflayers. Hmm. At the start of the combat phase, uh. roll a dice for each enemy unit within 1 inch. On a 4-up, that unit suffers D3 mortal wounds. In addition, for each 4-up, add 1 to the attacks characteristic of of this unit's melee (laughs) weapons until the end of that phase. If that enemy unit has 10 or more models, both of the effects of this ability trigger on a 3-up instead. So it goes from 16 to 19 attacks. Each time. Yeah. But it's each enemy unit within an inch. Yeah. So you could do this... Multiple times. Multiple times. Wow. Yeah. Nuts. Then the Bladebringer specifically has Slavering for Sensation. While friendly Hellflayer units are wholly within 12 inches of any friendly units with this ability, add one to the roll that determines whether their Soul Sent ability causes any mortal wounds. That means it triggers on a 2-up Yep. if it's a unit of 10 or more models, or yep. a 3-up you know, if it's not. 
and then acquiescence, which is the same. Then you have the regular Hellflayer unit, which is minus two wounds, minus two attacks on the piercing claws. Yep. And then isn't the wizard part of this. Right. And it does have soul scent, though. Yep. Yep. Nuts. Yeah. Pretty good. (laughs) Nuts. Freaking nuts. Now, this is a unit that just is, I don't know if I, it's just insane. What, okay. The the, bl- the, the one blade we're just about, Well, so I'm, they're blade all blade bringers, but this yeah, is but on this exalted. is the one. Yeah, exalted chariot. Excuse me. Yeah. Ooh, upgrade. All right. The blade bringer on exalted chariot has ten inch move, ten wounds, four up save, ten bravery. Is a wizard one by one soul gorgers, and we'll talk about the profile in a second. This unit can issue the same command up to two times in the same phase. If it does so, each command must be received by a friendly exalted chariot unit. No command point is spent the second time this unit issues a command. Wow, excellent! And there are three profiles: the whips, two inch range, six attacks, three by fours, minus one two, piercing claws. Poison Tongues, those are the same except the number of attacks, right, Brendan? Yep. So we got nine attacks and eight attacks. So at this point, we're at 23 attacks. Correct. Yeah. It's <laughs> just so crazy, man. 23 attacks. Thankfully, Ouch. that's how many attacks they're going to get. Yeah, right. But right when we're talking about you know doing the Mortal Wounds, that's a bucket of dice yeah. That you're fishing for sixes on. Yeah. In addition to anything else you get. Exactly. Then we have excess of blades. After this unit finishes a charge move, pick one enemy unit within one inch. Roll a number of dice equal to the charge roll. <laughs> for each roll that is greater than the enemy's save characteristic, that unit suffers one mortal wound. <laughs> God. And we're going to find out that there's a way to double up on that, as a matter of fact, and do that twice. It's just <laughs> nuts. Uh, the potential of mortal wounds and damage from that unit is crazed. Just crazed, man. And then the non-character version. Yeah. One wound fewer, two fewer attacks on the flensing whip, not a wizard, doesn't have the soul gorger's ability, has excess of blades, but also picks up bitter frenzy which is every time they receive a command from a Bladebringer Exalted Chariot, which we just talked about as being able to issue two commands <laughs> to Exalted Chariot keyworded units, so itself or the non-hero versions. Mm-hmm. On a four-up, you add one of the damage characters to this unit's flensing whip until the end of that turn, Makes brings them up to damage three. three. It's 260 points for the hero Yeah, version. it's good synergies. <sighs> the, and also, there's like a whole sub-faction that makes all this good. like Gooder? Yeah, so... <laughs> So the chariots can all go battle line if they have their version of a hero as the general. It's just nuts. So rather than come back to them Oof. and talk about the units where you've forgotten yeah. what it all is, they're the same but less. <laughs> but less gooder. Yeah. So the vice leader, <laughs> yep. the foot herald, yep. six inch move, five up save, bravery 10, five wounds, ravaging claws. It's like you've seen this profile before. Oh, one wow. inch range, six attacks, threes by fours, rend one damage two. Yep. One cast, one unbind wizard, can run and still charge. They have a lust for violence. In the combat phase, when you pick this unit to fight, you can take a friendly demoness host keyword unit, which are just your demonettes. Well, within 12 inches of this unit that has not yet fought in that phase, this demonette host unit can fight one after the other in the order of your choice. Uh, kind of like Bloodmasters and sure. you know yep. corn dudes. Yep. They have a ward of a five up, and they wow. have Acquiescence, which is the same spell we've talked about for yes. the last four heroes. Yes. So okay. that means, though, that if you have multiple of these kinds of heroes, you cannot cast that spell multiple times. There Correct. used to be an exception that lets you do that. You no longer have that in this book. So, Brendan, the next hero is Gludos. I want you to talk about him because I know you love this model, and 
yeah, and the rules. It's, it's on my list of models to paint. I really yeah. love the diorama style oh, yeah. models that they He's, came out with in quick succession between yeah. Catacross and, yeah. and this. So this dude is the big hero guy for the mortals. Mm-hmm. He's eight inch moved down to four. Says it's not very good, but it's a big lumbering <laughs> palanquin. Three up save, bravery nine, 18 wounds. He is the leer stave of Lothsar. Char, he's got a stave. 12 inch range, <laughs> one attack, twos by twos, no rend, right. damage six. It's insane. Then the it's flailing. Just one attack. Yeah. <laughs> you know, one shot, no rend. Two and two. Oh, God. It's not going to do much damage, but it's silly. Yeah. Yeah. The Wailing Great Blade, one inch range, three attacks, threes by threes, rend two, damage two. The Flying Scourge, two inch range, three attacks, threes by fours, no rend damage one. You know, you can just see him pointing that at somebody and burning them alive and just laughing. His big giant laugh as he sits up on his chair. (laughs) Just crazy. They have a Sacrificial Dagger, one inch range, one attack, threes by fours, no rend damage one. The Crushing Claws, two inch range, five attacks down to two. Threes by threes, rend two, damage three. Is a two cast, two unbind wizard. Has mounts and crew. Unit has a ward save of a five up. Lots of rules. Nice to start with. They have the Fog of Temptation. Minus one to hit rolls for attacks made by enemy units within 12 inches of this unit. (laughs) Remember when you get to 12, that stacks to be minus two. Mm. Obviously, you can only be net minus one, but basically you're telling your opponent, all out attack all you want, it means nothing to me. Mm -hmm. He has a rule that as the battle goes on, they have different abilities that impact this unit, and they are cumulative. It's a meal. Yep. So in the first battle round, you had one to bravery characteristics of friendly Hedonites and Slanesh mortal units while they're wholly within 12. Battle round two, in addition to that, this unit can run and still charge later in the turn. Battle round three, the cumulative to this point as well. Do not take a battle shock test for friendly Hedonites and Slanesh mortal units while they're wholly within 12 inches. That's the main course, okay. Yeah, not bad. Battle round four, right? All of that plus... This unit can attempt to cast one extra spell, becoming a three-cast wizard, and unbind one extra spell in the enemy hero phase. So in battle round four, he's a three-cast, three-unbind, who adds one to bravery, no one takes battle shock, can still run and charge. And then battle round five, (laughs) you can reroll casting, dispelling, and unbinding rolls for this unit in addition to everything you've seen before. He is super tanky, though, isn't he, man? Yeah, he's... Well, we're not even to the the tankiest part of it, right? He has... Gorge on excess. At the start of your hero phase, you can pick one friendly Hedonites slash mortal unit, wholly within 12 inches of this unit. If you do so until your next hero phase, each time that unit fights, after all of its attacks have been resolved, you can heal up to a number of wounds allocated to that unit equal to the number of wounds and mortal wounds caused by those attacks that were allocated to enemy units up to a maximum of six. That's crazed. Yeah, it's not bad. And then his spell, Crippling Famishment, casting value of a seven, range of 18 inches, Pick one enemy unit within range and visible. Until your next hero phase, have the move characteristics of that unit and have run rolls and charge rolls for that unit. I mean, he's got all these rules. He's 480 points. You're paying for what you get mm-hmm. in that particular instance. Sure, almost 500 points. Yeah. All right, the next hero here is the Lord of Hubris. Six-inch move, five wounds, five up save, seven bravery. You first, I insist, is his first rule. This unit has a ward of four up. In addition, at the end of the charge phase, you can pick one enemy unit within one inch of this unit and say that the Lord of Hubris will give them a chance to strike first. If you do so, the strike first effect applies to that enemy unit in the following combat phase, but all of that unit's attacks must target this unit. All right, that's pretty good. Yeah, not bad. Hit magnet, yeah. His other rule, only the best will suffice. Yep. 
is a really nice buff to the pain bringers of the twin souls which are the mortal armored units at the start of the combat phase he can pick one of those units wholly within 12 inches if you do so until the end of that phase each time a model in that unit is slain it can fight immediately <laughs> when it's removed so good wow and then we have our man sigvald what's going on with him what's up with sigvald he's still pretty good six inch move three up save bravery nine six wounds he's got shard slash which is one inch range the number of attacks is equal to five or the unmodified charge roll whichever is higher Twos by threes, Ren two, damage two. He has strike first if he charged. He adds three to his charge roll, which is ridiculous. You cannot make ward rolls for wounds and mortal wounds caused by this unit, you know, with getting to that 24 point. Like, he, Mm -hmm. off the charge, he could have a a fair few attacks coming off of him. Yep. And then he has a ward of a four up. So, still awful good. Yeah, He's 205 points. Still awful good. He's especially good if you can get him 3d6 charging. Because mm-hmm. obviously, duh. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, I'd love to have him have 12, 15, 18 attacks. Yeah, that would be... That would be something. Yeah, it sure would. Then we have the Lord of Pain. Six-inch move, five wounds, four-up save, seven bravery. The profile is the Soul Piercer Mace. Two-inch range, five attacks, three by threes, minus one, two damage. It's respectable. Unit has a ward of four up. In addition, each time a wound or mortal wound caused by an attack made with a melee weapon is negated by this ability, the attacking unit suffers one mortal. Good. Okay. Yeah, not bad. No. And then we have Paragon of Pain. Add one, two hit wound rolls. For friendly, Heed Knights of Slanesh mortal units, wholly within 12, while this unit is contesting an objective. Yeah, that's ranged and melee. (laughs) It doesn't say enemy Uh, objectives, right? It's just... Ouch. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, then you've got the Shard Speaker of Slanesh. Yeah. Uh, which I believe is graciously our last hero. Yeah. Six inch move, five up save, bravery seven, five wounds, haze staff, one inch range, two attacks, fours by fours, no run, damage two, shadow cloak claws, two inch range, five attacks, threes by threes, run one, damage two. Mm-hmm. One cast, one unbind wizard. If this unit successfully casts a spell that is not unbound, until your next hero phase, it gains the shadow cloak claws weapon profile. Right, which we talked about pretty all right, and can attack with that melee weapon. In addition, this unit has a ward of a four up until your next hero phase. So you definitely want to get a spell off so that you can, mm-hmm. not so much for the offense, but you want to sit on a four up save pretty much wherever. It's a ward save too. Yeah, and then once per turn in your shooting phase, you can pick one enemy unit within nine inches of this unit and roll a dice. On a four up, subtract one from save rolls for attacks that target that unit into your next hero phase. Can't stack it. Then Reflection Eternal is her spell. Casting value of a 6 in a range of 12 inches. If successfully cast, pick one enemy unit within range. Subtract one from attacks characters of that unit's melee weapons to a minimum of one until your next hero phase. Sweet. So, a little tough to get her in range to get minus one to save off, and it's only on a four up, but when you pair that with uh, anything else, it gets pretty good. It's an ability that triggers in the shooting phase, but Mm -hmm. it applies until your next hero phase. That could be a long time. It can be a long time, but it also applies for your combat attacks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like all Chaos books have a litany of heroes to discuss. So now we're going to jump back and talk about our sub-factions and the rest of those enhancements, Dan. Yep. And we're going to take a break before we do that, but then we're going to come back with Hosts of the Dark Prince. Here's to five miserable months on the wagon and all the irreparable harm that it's caused me. We're back with Hosts of the Dark Prince, and listeners, the way this has been laid out 
is we have three sub-factions and each one of them has a set of enhancements. So as we talk about each one, we're going to talk about the enhancements, which is the army enhancements, just because it makes more sense because these things are related to that particular mm-hmm. uh, sub-faction. So Brendan, you want to start us out or? Sure. So invaders is the first one. All friendly invaders heroes are treated as generals, even if they are not the model picked to be your general. That's insane. Yeah, that's pretty good. In addition, roll a dice each time you pick a friendly invaders hero to carry out a heroic action. On a two-up, you can pick one other eligible invaders hero on the battlefield to also carry out that heroic action. Okay, Brendan, so if I'm going second, Mm -hmm. I get to pick two heroic actions typically in the game, right? Mm -hmm. That would mean I would get four. You can get more. Okay. In addition, roll a dice each time you pick a friendly invader's hero to carry out a heroic action. Right. Cool. On a two-up, you can pick one other eligible <laughs> invader's that can also carry out that heroic action. When that unit carries out that heroic action... You roll another two-up. You can up. roll another dice. Wow. It could be every hero. Every eligible hero. Right. Yeah. yeah. You know, there are some things that only Galatian champions can do and, Correct. and that kind of thing, but... Yeah. Gross. That is. Then they have Escalating Havoc. This is a heroic action you can carry out with one friendly invader's hero instead of picking one from the table in the core rules. Sure. If you do so, pick one eligible command trait from the list below that the invader hero does not already have. That hero is considered to have that command trait until the end of the turn. It's so good. Wow. Yeah, Yeah, there's some good ones in there. I mean, that's great. All right, so command traits. What did you pick for the three? Yeah, I'll go over mine. That's cool. Yeah, yeah, go for it. I'm lost here for a second. Uh, Yeah, sure. Hurler's of obscenities is my pick. So at the start of the combat phase, you can pick one enemy unit within six inches of this general. Until the end of that phase, add one to hit rolls for attacks made by that unit. Subtract one from save rolls for attacks that target that unit. I think that's great. I mean, especially given the other enhancements in this book of getting plus ones to hit or wound or whatever else it is. I mean, you could just go nuts. Mm-hmm. And it might be a really critical combat too where you can just, boom, and it's at the start of the combat phase. It says the combat phase, too, not your combat phase. Sure. So it's either one. So I think that one's decent. I like best of the best. Add mm-hmm. one the attacks characteristics of this general's melee weapons while they are within six inches of a different hero. Sure. Doesn't say friendly or enemy, just says hero. Mm-hmm. And when you take into account escalating havoc, you can get multiple heroes Whoa. with these extra attacks. Which is nice. Nuts. Yeah. Yeah. Artifacts. Artifacts. Yeah. To me, there's one of that is a little bit better than the other ones. Okay. The icon of infinite excess. Yep. Once per battle at the yep. start of the combat phase, you can save the barrel plant the icon. <laughs> if you do so, add one of the attacks, characteristics, or weapons used by friendly heat slash units on the battlefield until the end of that phase. Man, that's everybody. It's everybody. That's everybody. Even though it's once per battle, and I'm not really big on those, that one is just so powerful. Right. So this hits the sweet spot for once per battle things. It is automatic. Mm-hmm. It covers a huge area, table-wide. <laughs> yes. And provides a meaningful buff to your army. Yep. Plus one attack for everything on every profile. Yep. And if you are at least 24 on the table, right, that's a force multiplier that is difficult to account for. Sure. Makes sense. So then we have the lore, and I'm I assume really, you're taking the same thing. Well, yeah, I'm taking the the icon. Absolutely, yeah. the lore. I'm really torn between two of these. Mm-hmm. So the first one I like is Lash of Slanesh. The Lash is a spell that has a casting value of six, range of twelve. If it is cast, pick one enemy unit within range of visible to caster and roll the number of dice equal to the number of models in that unit. For each five up. Subtract one from the attack characteristics of that unit's melee weapons until your next hero phase. I mean, I'm thinking of a unit of six of something. Yeah. Man, you could 
takes somebody down on average probably two. And so if you take a unit that has four attacks apiece down to two attacks apiece, some really punchy unit, that's a huge debuff on a unit. Yeah, you don't need a ton of models in that unit no. to get them down to one. No, not at all. Reliably from a nod's no. perspective. So that's my first choice. What is your first choice, do you think? Pavane. Okay, that's the two I'm torn between these. Yeah, so, so casting value of a six, also range 12. You pick an enemy unit within range invisible to caster. This is really where Spell Portal comes into its own. Mm. Roll a number of dice equal to that unit's move characteristic. For each five up, subtract one inch from that unit's move characteristics to a minimum of one for the rest, rest of the battle. Of battle. The same unit cannot be affected by this ability more than once per battle. Which, oh my thank gosh. A hey, unit has a move characteristic of 12. Just, you roll three of those, that, like, boof. It, it makes a big deal. Yeah, yeah, it's huge. Yeah, those are really good. Really good spells. Well, you, you had talked about earlier that the lures are good. So we have pretenders now. Yeah. This is heir to the throne. If the model picked to be your general is a pretender hero, you receive three command points instead of one. If they're on the battlefield, hello, yes. You know, I'll take that. Yes, sign me up. Continue. If, if the model picked to be your general, this is Warlord Supreme, is a pretender's hero, you can issue the same command up to three times in the same phase. If it does so, each command must be received by a friendly pretender's unit. Fine. No command points are spent the second and third time. So you issue three of the same commands, three, you know, all-out attacks, three all-out defense, and you only pay for one of them. Yeah. Whoa, so good. Command traits, what do you think here? Strength of Godhood. Now, yeah. thankfully, they reworded in the FAQ for it to not be absolutely bonkers insane. Once per turn, if this general issues a command to a different friendly Hedonites of Slash unit, until the end of the turn, improve the rend characteristics of this general's melee weapons by one and add one to the damage characteristics of this general's weapons. That's so as it was originally written, you could get plus nine rend and plus nine damage. How? Right now in the book, it's written as if this general issues a command to a different friendly Hedonites unit until the end of that turn, mm. you trigger Warlord Supreme to cast it to three different units. Oh you, my. You pick up your three command points in, God. you know, as, I mean, you could do it even more than that if you held on to your points from the previous. Yeah. But, like, if you're going second, right, you're sitting on two plus the three that you'd pick up from, you know, your general for the first. Yeah, right. Then you pick up another, right, so you're at five. Yeah. You spend none. You pick up three. You're at eight. You That's roll your four up. Crazy. You're at nine. You could actually get plus 27 rend and plus 27 That's damage. Nuts. So you Listeners, can only do this do, once. It does not work that way anymore. <laughs> you get to up it by one rend and one damage <laughs> once per turn. Thank you for that clarification, yeah. my friend. Yeah. So, my gosh, that's nuts. So that's my choice for command traits. How about artifacts? Yep, I quite like the Crown of Dark Secrets. <laughs> oh my gosh, it's so cool. <laughs> At the start of your first hero phase, pick one enemy unit on the battlefield for the rest of the battle while that unit is within six inches of the bearer. <laughs> The attacks characteristic of that unit's melee weapons is is one. So this is like what I'm thinking here is if I pick a cabbage or I pick a frost lord or I pick somebody else who's just punchy as heck. I'm just gonna go, hey, over here, charge me. Like think about a frost lord if he only has one attack on all his profiles. Yeah, he's nothing. He's nothing. Yeah, or a cabbage is the same way. It's like sure if I got a you know, four up ward and six wounds. Yeah, the trick is you got to get this hero unit. to within six right. of them. Understood. Yeah, but it's still can just totally Agreed. neuter it's very somebody. Good. Yes. Yeah. Now this affects the attack characteristic. So if, for example. Durthu rolled his dice and he rolls a three off of his 
Gladius, he mm-hmm. could still add three to the one. Correct. And then another one for being close to a tree. So he could still get more than the one. Okay. Just clarifying yeah. that. Okay. That is just crazy bonkers. So good. How about spells? What are you thinking here? First one I'm picking is uh, Born of Damnation. Mm, Casting okay. value of a six. If successfully cast, roll six dice. For each four up, you receive one depravity point. Sure. Why not? Yeah. Gosh. Just do that every turn. Boom, 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 boom. Phantasmagoria is my choice. It's a spell that has a casting value of five and a range of 12. If it's cast, pick an enemy unit. Visible to the caster until your next hero phase. Each time that unit is picked to fight, you can pick one friendly Hedonites unit within three inches of that unit. That friendly unit can retreat. Holy mutt, man. Mm-hmm. That's like redeploy on steroids. Yep. It's so good. And then we have Godseekers. Yep. So they have just base reroll charge rolls for friendly Godseekers units while they're wholly within 12 inches of a Godseekers hero. Not bad. Save you some command points. At the start of each battle round before the players receive their starting command points, this is not bad. You can move up to D3 friendly Godseekers units that are more than three mm-hmm. inches from all enemy units up to D6 inches. Roll for each unit. Those units must f- finish the move more than three inches from all enemy units. Mm-hmm. Into the fray, the strike first effect applies to this general if they made a charge move in the same turn. I like Speed Chaser. After this general makes a charge move, you can pick one enemy unit within one inch of this general and roll a number of dice equal to the charge roll for that charge move. For each four up, the enemy unit suffers one mortal wound. This is the one I was talking about doubling mm-hmm. up Yes, for the chariot hero. So you could do that twice. You roll Effectively, a t- yeah. You know, if you're rolling 3d6, for example, f- to charge and you roll a 12, you're going to roll another 12. <laughs> it's like, holy butt. Hmm. I wonder if there's a spell in this lore that lets you do that. Hmm. hmm. I, I guess wonder. we'll find out. I guess we will. Oops. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. We haven't gotten that far. <laughs> All right. How about artifacts, man? Girdle of the Realm Racer. Mm-hmm. The bear can fly. In addition, the bear is eligible to fight in the combat phase if they're within six inches of any enemy units. They can move an extra three inches when they Pylon. So sure. the good version of six inch pylon. Sure. And then we have spell lures. And so my, I, I assume you're taking the same thing I'm, then. I am taking to complement the speed chaser is yeah. Paths of the Dark Prince. And it's a spell that has a casting value of five. If successfully cast, roll three D6 instead of two D6 when making a charge for the caster. I'll take that. Sign me up. Yeah. So that people can hear a different thing. Slothful Stupor. Now, that one is still good. I, yeah. I did circle it, but... Casting value of 7, range of 12. If successfully cast, pick one enemy unit within range and visible to the caster. Until your next hero phase, the move characters to that unit is 3 inches, <laughs> and all run rolls and charge rolls for that unit are treated as being 3. Ah, that is so amazing. That's rough. <laughs> that is... Man, I'm just thinking, if you do this to somebody, you know, you're at the top of turn X. Yeah. Right? And then they go... And then they win the priority and they take the next turn. They're still, like, hobbled. They're stuck. (laughs) It's just crazy good. Man, there's just some good stuff in here, man. All right, so we're going to units now, right? I think we decided. Yes, so we've already done all the chariots, so... (laughs) Yeah, we're just going past all that. Go... Go away. The chariots are there. Go yep. listen to the ones about chariots. Their battle line, if you have the same chariot hero on chariot, that makes them chariot battle line chariots. <laughs> so first up, Dan, are demonettes. Yes. Wonderful, beautiful demonettes. They are six-inch move, one wound, five-up save, ten bravery. They have a champion that adds one to the attack characteristic musician. You can reroll failed battle shock tests. 
If it includes any horn blowers, that's good. Piercing claws is their weapons, one inch range, two attacks, three by fours, minus one, one damage. The banner bearer adds one to run and charge rolls. The icon bearer, if this unit receives a rally command, while there are any icon bearers, when you roll a dice, you can rally on a five up instead of a six. And this unit can run and still charge later in that turn. Yeah. Brendan, there are so many ways to give these beautiful creatures three attacks, maybe four attacks. I mean, the potential here for the price is amazing. They're on the right base size to make advantage of their one-inch range. Mm -hmm. They're 125 for 10, so not crazy. Not good, not bad. Mm. They're certainly good to summon, right? When they're on a five-up ward, they're really good. Minus one to hit, they're good. Sixes to hit are mortal wounds in addition to what they're doing. It's not difficult to get them to twos and threes on their profile. Mm-hmm. It right As you said, it's not difficult to get them an extra attack or two. You have 20 of them. That's what, 30 attacks, 60 attacks well, for 20 I, of them? Right even? base, it's 41. Right. You know, Assuming none of those extra buffs, like that's still... Right, assuming you've only gotten to that twenty-four mark, mm-hmm. you're you're talking about on average seven mortal wounds yeah. for two hundred and fifty points. Yeah, all day. Seems good to me. Yeah. All right. How about these fiends? I really wish <laughs> they would. Fix they were them. like, they were really good. They're better. They're two hundred <laughs> points. They're no longer dependent on their unit size to do stuff. Mm-hmm. I don't know that they're quite there yet, though. Yeah. 12-inch move, 5-up save, bravery 10, 4 wounds. They have their deadly pincers, 1-inch range, 3 attacks, 3s by 3s, ren 1, damage d3. And their stinger, 2-inch range, 1 attack, 3s by 3s, ren 2. Damage is based on the wounds characteristic mm-hmm. of the target. Yeah. If it's a characteristic of 1, this is damage 1. If it's 2 to 3, it's D3. If it's 4 or more, it's D6. The unit champion adds 1 to the pincer attack, so there are 4 attacks there. They have their disruptive song. They subtract 1 from casting and binding into spelling rolls for enemy wizards while they're within 12 inches. Mm-hmm. And then you are minus 1 to hit and wound this unit with melee weapons. <sighs> right, You can get them to be the minus 2 to hit. Right, For 200 points, I think, is the sticking point here. Mm. But you can use this as a really nice pin piece mm. especially if you can get them the ward save makes yeah. sense then we have seekers mm-hmm. 14 inch move wow nice yeah demonettes on seekers yeah yep two inch wound two inch wound. two inch move <laughs> two inch wounds <laughs> two wounds five up save ten bravery piercing claws and poison tongue that sounds familiar the claws is one inch range two attacks three by four is minus one one and the poison tongue is one two attacks three by fours no rend one damage we have the champion that has one attack musicians reroll failed battle shock banner bearer same thing icon bearer same thing is with the demonettes soul hunters at the end of the combat phase if any enemy models with wounds characteristics of two or less were slain by wounds caused by this unit's attacks in that phase add one to the attacks characteristic of this unit's piercing claws for the rest that's so silly the battle it's so silly yeah it stacks it continues right it's every combat phase you can get it to do this Mm -hmm. they're 140 points for five of them Mm -hmm. right so they're in a very similar point structure to what demonettes do and talk about delivery systems so it's got a 14 inch move Mm -hmm. and quicksilver speed says you can roll 2d6 instead of d6 when you make a run roll in addition you can run and still charge yeah so run and charge 14 inch move 2d6 run where do you want them to be they're gonna be there that's really good great unit this is an especially good late game summoning unit Mm. now you're not going to be able to get the engine going so quickly Mm. but they're especially good as a late game summoning unit because most of what you're going to come across are going to be 
smaller units or they've already taken some damage and you mm -hmm. need to go out and get an objective and take it from somebody or you know set your screen up in exactly the right spot to make your opponent go gosh darn it like i really needed to get there just great great unit right battle line like, right exactly <laughs> yep speaking exactly. of battle line bliss barb archers yes hello 150 points six inch move six up save bravery six one wounds the bow 18 inch range two attacks threes by fours rend one damage one and then they have their sybarite blade one inch range one attack threes by fours no rend damage one you have your champion who adds one to the bow. And then one in every 11 is a homunculus. I add one to wound rolls for missile weapons that include any bliss brew homunculi. Well, it does. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're three by threes. Three by threes, rend one, one damage. Seems pretty good. Yeah. You can run and still shoot later in the turn. That's 20 um, attacks, right? For 10. Yeah. yeah. There are meaningful ways to get that save knocked down other ways. There are also Hedonites of Slash Mortal units. So if they're near a Lord of Pain, they're twos and threes wow woof yeah. yeah twos and threes with an extra plus one hiding in there if you're a minus one to wound i mean that's good mm-hmm yeah that's all right pain bringers brendan pain bringers are great <laughs> they're so good tanky is all get out man mm-hmm six inch move two wounds three up save seven bravery three up save okay that's for now we haven't talked about the rule yet so wicked scimitar one inch range, three attacks, three by threes, minus one, one damage. One model adds, you know, it can be a pain master, yeah. So Paragons of Battle, add one to save rolls for attacks that target this unit. While it's wholly within enemy territory or wholly within 12 of an objective that you do not control. So you're talking about two up saves here. And if you play it right, they could have a five up ward on top of that. Yep. Oh my gosh, man. 145 points for five and battle line with a Lord of Pain or Lord of Hubris as the general. Man, 10 of these would be just a super tar pity. Yeah. Like, they, man. And they punch, too. If you had 10 of them, you'd add 30 attacks. See, but I think that the better tar pit is the Twin Souls. Okay, Twin Souls. Let's go there. So yeah. 140 points for five, same battle line condition, six inch move. Two wounds, four up save, bravery seven. They have merciless blades, one inch range, two attacks, threes by fours, rend one, damage two. You know, champion mm. adds one to the attack characteristic. Subtract one from the attack characteristic of melee weapons used by enemy units to a minimum of one while they're within three inches of any friendly units with this ability. Yep. And this unit base has a ward of a five up while uh -huh. within three inches of any enemy units. Sure. Wow. Okay. These units used to be just a huge waste of time. The tough part is, is they're range one on their weapons, so you can't yeah. go to be a super huge unit. Because they're on 32s. Because they're on yeah. 32s. Yeah. Otherwise, you got to work on your honeycomb skills. Yeah, yeah, I think you finally think about them. Yeah, that's the, a good thing. You know, they can get plus one to hit, plus one to wound from a Lord of Pain. They can get fight on death from a Lord of Hubris. They still have the same revel and depravity stuff that comes up. Ludos yeah. buffs these guys pretty well if you want to build in that direction. Sure. But I think so far from the mortal stuff, the archer's the best. Okay. I think there's a unit or two that are still better. Okay. We'll, we're going to get to those in just a minute. Okay. So we got the two Hellstrider versions here. Oh, God. These models are terrible. Yeah. They still are terrible. 14-inch move, two wounds, four up save, six bravery for the Claw Spears. The champion adds one to attacks, musician, fail battle shock, standard bear, add one to run rolls, charge rolls, icon bear, five up for rallying. Jagged weapon limbs is a special rule. Has two profiles, by the way. Claw Spear, two-inch range, two attacks, three by fours, minus one, one. And then the poison tongue is what it always is. Yep. Jagged weapon limbs, if this unit is within three inches of any enemy units at the start of the charge phase, add one, it's... 
the charge, even if they're in combat, mm-hmm. they can still do this. Add one to attacks characteristics and damage characteristics of this unit's claw spears. Okay. It seems super weird. This feels like a rule that you should get when you make a charge. Yeah. But yeah. if you're in combat in your opponent's charge phase, then stab them good. Yeah, I guess. You go up to three attacks at damage two, which is fine. Yeah. Or you can take the other version with their health scourges. Profile's the same. Poison Tongue is the same. They have the health scourge, which is range three inches, three attacks, threes by fours, no rend damage one. The units are all the same, except for the hook tendrils. Enemy models, the wounds characters are one or two, cannot contest objectives while they're within three inches of any friendly units with this ability. It's pretty good. nuts. The Hell Striders come in at 150 points for the Claw Spears, 160 for the Hell Scourges. Battle line if your general is immortal. Mm-hmm. Dan, do you want to talk about the Slick Blade Seekers or the Bliss Barb Seekers? I'll talk about the stabby ones. Okay. Because I know you want to talk about the archers. Both are quite good to yeah. talk about. All so. right. So 14 inch move for the Seekers, uh, the Slick Blade Seekers. Uh, four wounds, five up save, six bravery. They have the Glaive, which is two inch range, three attacks, three by threes, minus two. One and then the poison tongue is the poison tongue. Uh, the champion has one unrivaled velocity. unit can run and still charge later in that turn. And then decapitating strikes add one of the attacks characteristic of this unit's glaives. If the target unit has a wounds characteristic of three or less, so they're gonna be at four a piece. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. Still only damage one, but uh, you can affect all those things. Yeah. In this book, two hundred points for the five of them, mm-hmm. which it's twenty wounds. Yeah, it's not nothing, especially when, you know, you reinforce them, right? You bring them base, you're talking about 25 attacks for the five of them, mm-hmm. 50 attacks, you know, if you bring it up to, you know, the, a full-size unit of 10, which is a little mm-hmm. silly, or, you know, you get the extra attacks off the charge, right? 60 attacks. Mm-hmm. This is where your depravity comes in. Sure, Because sure. this is the unit that you're going to probably want to get to that level as the ones who are your euphoric killers because mm-hmm. you are getting the most number of attacks from a per points basis in the combat sure. phase and then pairing that with the keeper of secrets to pound and fight twice even the toughest unit is going to melt yeah they're going to be getting a butt kicking because when you pair that with the bliss barb seekers who are also 200 points for five who are also basically the exact same profile they have a bow 12 inch range three attacks threes by fours run one damage one cool Keep track of that. They have their blade, one inch range, one attack, threes by fours, no run damage, one. And then the tongue, which is the tongue. Your champion adds one to the attacks characteristic for the bow. They can run and still shoot later in the same turn, which is great. Mm-hmm. The biggest bit of this is the vectors of agony. If any wounds caused by attacks made with missile weapons by this unit are allocated to an enemy unit, subtract one from save rolls for attacks that target that unit until the end of that turn. Same unit cannot be affected by this ability more than once. This is what you're talking about. You shoot them with the bliss barbs, you charge them with the slick blades. Mm-hmm. Boom, boom, boom. Because now they're effectively run three. And I welcome you to try and do something about that. Yep. With that many attacks, man. With that many attacks, right? If you pair it with the Keeper, because this is where they really come into their own if you can get to 24 points quickly. Mm-hmm. Because them proccing sixes or mortal wounds on potentially 60 attacks is 10 mortal wounds plus everything else that you were going to do. Mm-hmm. Which is, as you might guess, good. Absolutely, but a combination of a double reinforced slick blade seekers unit, a unit of seekers, and then a keeper is a thousand points. It's nothing. not nothing, but if you can start pumping out those depravity points, though, yeah, man, they can't be battle line either. So, yeah, you know, choices have to be made. But man, very good. Yeah, 
So, what do you think about the Fiend Bloods? They are the same as the Beasts of Chaos book. Yep. So they are much better than they were because you have to take into account that they are 145 points for three. Mm. It's nine wounds at a five-up save, right? Yeah, nine wounds at a five-up save. They get a free once-per-battle fight again in a unit of three. You're talking about 13 attacks on fours and threes, ren one, damage two. Mm-hmm. It's not bad. They're keyworded mortal, so they can very easily get to threes and twos with the right hero support for not much investment. Sure. They're fine. You know, are you going to rely on them? Mm, no. No, but... It's not the worst thing in the world if you're taking them. Okay. We normally don't talk about the Underworld teams, but, but the Dread Pageant has a zillion attacks and can potentially do a ton of damage for mm-hmm. 145 points, Yep. which is silly beyond belief. Yep. They're a 10-wound unit for 145 points. They can just pump out mortal wounds. Okay. <laughs> oh, and strike first if they charge, by the way. <laughs> They're worth thinking about. Okay. Spells, Dan. Which one do you want to take first? Let's take the wheels. Wheels of Excruciation. It's uh, 80 points. It is a casting value of 6, range of 12. Set up this endless spell wholly within range, invisible to the caster, more than 1 inch from other models, blah, 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 blah. Predatory. So once it's set up, it can move 8 inches. Exquisite Agony. After the Endless Spell has moved, roll six dice for each unit that has any models it passed across. For each roll that is less than the unit's unmodified save characteristic, that unit suffers one mortal wound. The ability has no effect on Slanesh units. Okay, cool. For 80 points, I don't think Seems like it's a lot. Uh, yeah, it doesn't. Seems like a lot for the return, yep. It's kind of like a big base. Like, setting it down is kind of tough. Yeah. So I like just you... like the model. I got to say, that's why I like this, because the model's pretty awesome. Sure. Just a bunch of spiky wheels. Hey, okay. <laughs> Whatever, man. So, <laughs> which one do you want to take next? I'll take the mirror. Yeah. Uh, yeah casting yeah. value of 6, range of 18. Set it up wholly within range. If a unit starts a move, run, or retreat within 12 inches of the endless spell, that unit suffers D3 mortal wounds unless it finishes that move close to the endless spell. And it was at the start of the move. No effect on Slanesh units. And then gaze into its depths at the end of the movement phase. Roll 6 dice for each unit within 6 inches of the endless spell. Now, it's not predatory, so you got to put it in the right place to begin with. Sure. For each six, that unit's commanding player must choose whether that unit gazes into the mirror or resists temptation. If it resists temptation, it suffers D3 mortal wounds. If it gazes into the mirror, the player who summoned this endless spell gains D3 depravity points. Its ability has no effect on heat net to slash units. For 60 points? Hmm? Seems worthwhile. It has potential, for sure. I definitely agree. One of the things that you can absolutely do with it is set it up super early into your opponent's zone, roughly. Mm. You know, not all the way. You have to be an inch away from stuff. But at the end of the movement phase, you roll six dice for each enemy unit within six inches. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're rolling a lot of dice for a lot of units, you get to do this a lot of times, right? Like That's just the way yep. that numbers work. <laughs> at 60 points, it's a good and effective way to do some chip damage or get some depravity out early. Makes sense. Stand the last spell. Yeah, the funny mask that breathes stuff that so, breathes whips yeah so is casting value of seven has a range of 12 you have to set up wholly within 12 of the caster more than one inch from everything it's predatory eight inches can fly after this spell has moved roll six dice for the closest unit within six inches of it if more than one unit is equally close the commanding player can choose which unit to roll for for each four up that unit suffers one mortal wound in addition if any mortal wounds caused by this ability are allocated to that unit it strikes last 
in the following combat phase. Yeah, not bad. Pretty good. Terrifying Entity. Subtract one from the bravery characteristics of units while they're within 12. Add one to the bravery characteristics of Slanesh units while they're within 12 of this endless spell. That's nice. Nothing wrong with that. 60 points. I think I there's know. some okay value there. The fight's last is what's important there. The, it's huge. The Mortal Wounds is whatever. You got plenty of other ways to do Mortal Wounds in this book. So. Yeah. The Handing Out Strikes Last is... On a four up, that's pretty good. Pretty good. Then you've got your terrain piece, the Fane of Slanesh. Yep. Pretty standard setup, wholly within your territory, more than three inches from everything. It's impassable. When you spend depravity points, you can set up those units wholly within 12 inches of this feature, more than nine inches from all enemy units, instead of within range of a hero. So mm-hmm. you know, that's nice. Then it has the damned conduit rule. At the start of your hero phase, you can pick one friendly Hedonite to Slanesh hero within six inches to make a sacrifice. If you do so, you suffer a mortal wound. And you roll a dice. On a two-up, add one to the wound rolls for attacks made by that hero until your next hero phase. Cool. Or, if the hero has an artifact, instead of taking the mortal wound, you can pitch your artifact into the fane. Okay, so let's just stop. Like, why would you do that? It's an artifact. So, once per battle artifacts, you can still use this on after you've used... True. Okay, got it. So, you've used your icon. The difference is... You can no longer be used, and you must roll a dice on a two-up at one of the wound rolls for attacks made by that hero for the rest of the battle. Yep. Not until your next hero phase, so. Yeah, to your point, if it's a throwaway, then, yeah, for the rest of the battle. Yeah, why yeah. not? Use it early and throw it away. Use yeah. it early, That's get true. plus one to wound. Yep. Neat. Makes sense. Makes perfect sense. As much sense as it's going to make. How about yeah, that? It's, it's good. That's good qualifier. So let's talk Straps. strategies and battle tactics, because yeah. there are no battalions. Battalions. Uh, then closing thoughts for the book. Yeah, yeah. So for grand strategies, Dan, which one do you want to go with? I'm going to start with the Arch Tempter. When the battle ends, you complete this grand strategy if you offered a temptation dice to your opponent for the same enemy unit six or more times during the battle. Now that's... That's tough to it's do. It's to do because you got right. Uh, if it goes for a full game, it's a little bit more than that, right? Because you can do it in oh different phases, right? Right. So okay. any time where there'd be oh. a hit, wound, or right. a save roll involved. So. so I don't know. I think that's doable if it's every phase of the game. Right. You got to do it six times, and that unit has to not be dead. Right. That's true for the same enemy unit. So you have to do it that many times, and then also the unit has to survive. Has to survive yeah. long enough to be able to do so it. So if the opponent is really just mean, they would say, "Hey, you know what? It's almost dead already. I'm going to make it die, and you don't get your strategy." Yeah. Yep. Yeah, it's true. I'll take glutton for depravity. Mm-hmm. When the battle ends. You complete this grand strategy for 36 or more unspent depravity points, which you want to do anyways. Yeah. The, right. Like you want to get. You want to fill your pool up first. Like you shouldn't be dumping below 36 at any point in time unless it's going to win you the game. Because getting that ward is so important to the success of this army. Okay, now the next one is Selfish Desire. When the battle ends, you complete this grand strategy. If you not summon any units using the Summon Slaneshi Demon's battle trait during the battle. I think that's very doable, or that's something you can easily live with because you're going to put hopefully the first 36 into your depravity pool to get your buffs mm-hmm. but the time you've gotten 36 points of course it depends on who you're playing situational that kind of thing but you could easily go without summoning demons i don't know I why think. you'd handcuff yourself though yeah that to me screams more narrative than anything else because sure if you hit your 36 early Oh, then you're going to want to... Why wouldn't you? Right? If you the, have the points. Agreed. Because, you know, talking about, like, the unit we just talked about with the uh, the Seekers, mm-hmm. where you can try and get, we'll call it 40 points, top of one, assuming that there's a unit that you can throw them into to get 40 points worth. Right. Why wouldn't you do everything you could 
to Makes get sense. more. And then the last one is coveted riches. When the battle ends, you complete this grand strategy. If there are no enemy units that have artifacts of power on the battlefield, oof, oof. and there are one or more friendly units that have artifacts of power on that the battlefield. That one seems the toughest of the four to me. There are some tough-to-kill units specifically based on the artifacts you give them. Right. <sighs> yeah, that's a tough one. All right. So how about our tactics, my friend? Yeah, we'll just start right off the top. Death of a thousand cuts. Pick one enemy unit. You complete this tactic if wounds caused by attacks made by three or more different friendly units were allocated to that unit during this turn. Mostly archer units, I'd imagine, at that point. I agree. And Enrapturing Blur. Pick one enemy hero that has zero wounds allocated to it. You complete this tactic if that unit is destroyed in the combat phase of this turn before it is picked to fight. Not hard to do. No, not at all. The Grand Feast. You complete this tactic if you gain 12 or more depravity points from the euphoric killer's battle trait during this turn. Hello! (laughs) Sign me up! (laughs) With the right units, this is... Almost automatic. Excessive Carnage. Pick one enemy unit that is contesting an objective. You complete this tactic if you pick that unit using the Euphoric Killer's battle trait, and that unit is destroyed during this turn. See above yes. battle traits. <laughs> right. Then what do we got next? Realm Racers. Yeah, you complete this tactic if three or more friendly He Knights of Slanesh units made a charge move of seven inches or more during this turn. Man, this is like the best set of battle tactic we've read in a long Ever. time. But... I mean, this is very good. Right? We have one more to go here, and we're at five that you look at and you go... Oh, sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Doable. I don't need those other ones, right? Yeah. Depraved Unity. Pick one objective that you do not control. You complete this tactic. You control that objective at the end of this turn, and at least one friendly Slanesh mortal unit and one friendly demon unit are contesting that objective. Oh, hello. Wow. Yeah. Why do I need any other battle tactics? Yeah. Seriously. You know, we're going to talk about Bone Reapers and Soul White Gravelords in, you know, a couple right. of shows. I have some battle tactic envy. Yeah, sure. It's so good. Yeah. You have meaningful ways of scoring your battle tactics. You don't even have to dip into the 10 or the 8 on the other side. Cool. Okay. Scoring points wins games. I don't know if you know that, Dan. That's, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, yeah, I have figured that out after these years. Yeah, yeah. So what are your closing thoughts on this book? I love it. I love the special mechanics. I love the fact that there are so many ways to win with this book. You know, as always, we talk about Mm. that. But man, you can win with mortals. You can win with demons. I love the thought of a chariot army would just be so stupid. And of course, it would take years to put them together because the models are just insane. I built two of those exalted chariots, and I hope that I never have to even think about building another one. (laughs) Like entering a labyrinth, right? And trying to come out the other side. Overall, I'm really happy for Slanesh players. I am a little concerned as an opponent that I'm going to see them across the battlefield with somebody playing them because... Especially with my army, I have no way to mitigate mortal wounds. Yeah. And this army just screams mortal wounds. And it screams damage volume. So, yep. yeah, good but stuff. But they're squishy. That's the thing. If so, you can get to them first. So talking about something like your Oakenbrow list, right? So they have to be able to come get you. Now, they do have some units that can do that, right? You know, I'm mm-hmm. not going to sit here and pretend like that they can't. But this is where something like Spellsinger with your AoE Mortal Wound Bomb is especially good. They don't get the ward save for most units until they get up to that 36 category. Mm-hmm. You can clear off a bunch of demonets. You can do wounds to some Seekers. You can chip away at their heroes. You can get them to a place that is weak. Mm-hmm. You know, when Durthu hits a unit of Slick Blade Seekers, they're gone. Period. Sure. Gets into a keeper. It's gone. 
Mm-hmm. Even with the ward save, you're going to mulch some units mm-hmm. with the right things. But, you know, if they get their engine going, it becomes a very difficult vehicle to stop. Because you actually have to hit them. You have to right. roll the hit rolls in order to get your damage through. You have to roll the wound rolls. Yep. Yeah. And at minus one to hit, minus one to wound, you know, you yeah, to your point, the cumulative effect of this army over time, you just... If you can get up. to them early, they're not going to be there. Yep, makes sense. But you got to be able to do that. <laughs> right, and not everybody can do that. Exactly. Not everyone can do that, and not every army even necessarily has the punching power to be able to do what they need to do Mm. to try and get as much damage out as they'd like. There are going to be some armies, though, that the temptation dice mechanic doesn't bother them in the slightest. Right. You go, cool, you'll turn that into a hit, and you go, nah, I'm good. Here's my four-up ward against your mortal wounds. Right. Cool. Yeah. One dice wasted. You did a mortal wound. (laughs) And there's going to be even some situations where you don't even want to offer the dice, right? Because... Mm sixes do something that you don't want them to do to you Mm -hmm. it's a nice balance i think the points are largely in the right place i think there's what's really nice i think there's some units that could stand to come down a little bit i think there's some units that could stand to go up a little bit that means that they are largely in the right place and we could very well see that adjustment in the next battle scroll yeah Yeah, sure certainly or if not the next one you know the one in the fall right just because they just might not have enough play time to make the adjustment kind of like what happened with carriage on overlord exactly go around Mm -hmm. that's true I don't know. I'd be pretty happy with it. I think that Mm. if there's a set of players who really enjoy Slanesh, that this is a good and interesting book to take a look at. I think you're going to do well with it. I think Pretenders are probably, from a competitive standpoint, where you're going to start. But Godseekers and Invaders have good spells, and they have good artifacts, and they have good traits, and they do good things. It's just all those extra command points that you'd get from Pretenders is pretty tough to pass up. Okay. Yeah, being able to hit your six on your run and re-roll your charges and (laughs) plus one to hit and or all-out defense. You know, one of the things that we've seen go away more and more recently in the 3.0 books is the loss of unique commands from each of the different heroes. They're now more Mm. just abilities. I don't know how much I like that. It it reduces the complexity. I get that. They're more, you know, just choices and things like that. It makes me wonder, now, 4th edition is nowhere near around the corner. It's at least a year away. Sure. I do wonder what that means for command points and things like that. And I really do enjoy having command abilities on the War Scrolls. Yeah, I think in the right spot, it gives you an interesting and niche way of getting different abilities out. But part of it is sometimes it can become hard to balance, right? Mm -hmm. On the Keeper, the Keeper used to have a command ability to give another unit fight again Mm -hmm. and last. But now it's a once per battle ability. Balance, as you said. Balance. You can disagree with that notion of balance. (laughs) I really like, you know, just kind of like putting army lists together and seeing what people have come up with. You know, certainly a lot of people have, have started on one Keeper a big unit of slick blade seekers is not a special concoction that we came across here by any stretch of the imagination. That's looking pretty standard. Tons of units of archers mm-hmm. is something that people are talking about running. I don't know about you, Dan. I don't think we read a single war scroll that I said, yeah, straight useless. Yeah. There are war scrolls I'd like to be a little bit better. <laughs> like fiends, I think, could stand to come down another 20 points or so, but right. they're a pin and win unit. Right. I think every unit is valuable. I think Shalaxi could stand to come down a couple of points. Gudos probably can as well. But you can make meaningful arguments to play all these different units and have them show up and do something cool and feel okay about your choices, which as far as what we talk about, Dan, is exactly what 
we think the overwhelming sigma of Sigmar players, right. they just want to win more games than they lose. Mm-hmm. They want to take the units that they like. Another 3.0 book where I think that they've absolutely nailed that design criteria. Absolutely. It's not Gitz. No. But, <laughs> you know, but nothing but KO seemed to be. So, sure. Yes, that's the last of the Chaos books yep. for 3.0. We're going to hit up a couple of deadheads and then... Seraphon. Yeah, then lizards. So all coming down. Yeah. We'll take a break here and then go to the back third of the show. All right, man. Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Scriptorium time. We have a few new releases. We have Space Wolves audiobook, and this is coming out, I think, Saturday. We're recording on a Monday. This is the start of the original Ragnar series. And they're going to do, I would assume, every book in the series. I highly recommend, I haven't listened to it, but I just reread, remember, the whole Ragnar series. These books are just so good. They give you such a great feel for 40K. And even if you're not a Space Wolves fan, just Ragnar's story as it carries through each of the books, to me, it's just fantastic. So I would really recommend folks who don't want to read the books to at least give this first one a try. And if you like it, I can tell you, you're going to like the rest. So that's really exciting. The Lion, which is the, you know, Lionel L. Johnson Primark book that has come out, the the Indominus era one is on electronic. It's not hard copy yet. And then we have Legends of the Dark, which is basically an anthology of Dark Angels stories. So those have all come out. And that's just ebook. I don't think that is audio yet. Brendan, how about you for stuff? I'm listening to Valdor, Birth of the Imperium. Oh, um, I, I had like a stockpile of credits and I was like, I need to listen to something. It's like kind of a siege book, kind of not. Mm-hmm. I'm real middle of the road on it. Mm-hmm. And they started off on a real bad tone with me. Like the opening prologue is the emperor talking to Valdor in like a stasis tube or whatever. Mm. And in the background, every couple of seconds, it's you know, it's an audio drama. Beep. Beep. Like, it's like a medical environment. Like, I'm sitting there, I'm like, what is going on? Like, like I'm thinking that it's my smoke detector or something like that. And it seemed so unnecessary. It was so loud. It added nothing. Oh. Like, just like ambient clicking and whirring and things of that couldn't have added itself. It annoyed me from the outset. Mm. I'm about halfway through... I'm in the middle. There's some things in there that I think are kind of interesting. Like, you're introduced to some of the Thunder Warriors Primark, which is kind of cool. Yeah. You know, that's not something that we'll call as common knowledge, right? In, yeah. In most 40K, 30K lore. It's the before time. Yeah. And so that's pretty neat. I'm enjoying that part of it. But the rest of it, maybe it's the voice actors. Maybe it's the writing. Mm. I don't know. I'm, yeah, that happens with audiobooks. Like, like, I'll finish it. I don't hate it. But, like, mm. I mean, my goodness, I was <laughs> mad at the start of that <laughs> i watched on netflix it's a documentary about bill russell mm, okay uh, sure the extraordinarily famous basketball player yes. and man mm-hmm. Very good. it was about four hours long wow it's good yeah it was entertaining Great. yeah i knew he was a civil rights leader i knew he had won oh. a zillion championships it was super cool to you know just watch something that followed it along for you and yeah and explained like how unusual he was for his time. Okay. Not just as a basketball player, but as a person. I mean, I did it in chunks. I didn't watch it all at once, but <laughs> right. it was entertaining throughout. Awesome. Yeah. That's me. Okay, so Fall from Glory, the Battletech book is underway. And halfway through, it's been a really easy read. I mean, it's great. It's mm-hmm. a good story, and it's a good start, the overall theme. Now, the other thing is, 
in keeping with my mini rant earlier, where the heck is my siege book? I think that's a fair question, Dan. Inexcusable. That's all I'm going to say about that. Moving on. (laughs) I have decided that I am going to read a couple of the Arcs of Omen book, which is the new thing. And so I got the Vashtor book and I got the Lion book. I finished the Vashtor book. The story was just fascinating. And I think it's important if you enjoy 40K, if you did in the past or you still enjoy the lore and stuff, I think sometimes it's important to invest some time into this stuff because it keeps you current with what's going on in the story. And they're really pushing the narrative coming forward, right? Because this Mm -hmm. is like Broken Realms for you Sigmar players. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I imagine when 10th is going to come out, there's going to be another, Mm. you know, kind of uh, emphasis and focus that's going to be part of the narrative release in that rule set. And one of the nice things, because it's, you know, a Dead Tree book that I'm reading, is they had a part in there where, I'm not giving a whole lot away, it's just a minor spoiler, but they end up, these chaos guys, including Vastor, invade the rock, and they're trying to get down to the deepest, deepest parts of the rock because there's stuff down there, you know? Mm. It's Dark Angels. They have stuff. And there's this one two-page spread where it's literally got a diagram of like three or four different levels that they're going down, and as the battle progresses, and the narrative is oh, on either side a good of the map. Book. Yeah. Oh, and so they're just talking you through this diagram and this map, and it's so cool to read along and like, wait a minute, where is that? And you look at the map, and you kind of visualize the progress that was really cool but again the story is very very neat as usual the dark angels you know get some help and they're like yeah thanks a lot see you later (laughs) it's just like we don't want you sticking around because they're still even in we have stuff you can't see the stuff even in we have the best stuff right they're all like no you can't see our stuff man (laughs) it's like okay whatever these guys just save your life i get it you're dark angel i i get it very very good and the other part of it is you know that's only like half of the book there's all kinds of whatever data slates and there's scenarios to play through because you kind of replay you know the story Mm -hmm. and that was fun to read through too after having read the story so the book was really great and i'm looking forward to starting the lion even though i'm not a big lionel johnson fan i just think there's a certain amount of redemption that can come here because it's kind of a second chance for him as a character to do some different things than he's done before and so that's what i'm kind of hoping for as i read through the book then I'm listening still to Legion about two-thirds of the way through, the Alpha Legion book, and it's just fascinating. The whole John Grammaticus character is just so cool. He's just such a cool, cool character. So I finished watching Picard Season 3, and Episode 10 was just fabulous. There were so many aspects to it, the way they tied together all these themes, and I thought they did a really good job of writing in this season. You kind of knew there was something in the background working, and you thought you knew what it was, but then in the last two episodes, and this kind of wrapped it up, it was like this totally unexpected entity that was actually behind everything that was going on. Mm. And it was really neat how they rolled it all out, how there was so much It was almost like a Zinch kind of conspiracy thing, you know, where there was secrets within secrets and plans within plans. The reveal was great. It was great to see, you know, they had what they basically did was they revived the Enterprise D. So all the next generation cast, literally they had the whole cast almost on the bridge of this ship. And it was just so cool to watch that. Worf was by far my favorite character. Okay, He just had these one-liners. And you know, you see all these other people with blasters and phasers and all this other stuff. And Worf's there with swords. He's just like, he pulls these swords out. He's like, bring it, you know? And there was one point in this... It's Worf in time. (laughs) It was great. And then there was this one scene where a bunch of stuff had wrapped up, but they kind of 
panned back to the bridge. And there's a wharf over in his chair and he's like, <sighs> he's snoring. <laughs> it's just, oh, wharf, I love you. It's great. That was very satisfying to watch that. Based on your answer to one of Dave's questions, I'm actually re-watching Lord of the Rings now oh, while I'm working out. Right. So, And I've got all the extended versions, so this is going to take a couple weeks for me to get through it, but I'm really, really enjoying it. Cool. I hadn't watched it for a very, very long time. Uh, so that was really neat. And then I watched a classic, and I don't know why I wanted to watch this again. I think I maybe saw a clip somewhere, but it's a story called The Scarlet Pimpernel. And I would highly recommend it for you and Katie to watch. You know, she's a movie fan. She may have already watched it. It's a story that was written back at the early part of the 20th century, I think 1905 or 1906. It's a story that takes place in the same time frame as Tale of Two Cities, the Charles Dickens book. So it's during the terror in the French Revolution okay. when the guillotine's coming out and all this kind of stuff. So it's about our young English aristocrat who is trying to save people from going to the guillotine. Mm. And the story is just fabulous. And the acting, either you can watch the black and white, which is quite a bit shorter than the newer one. It was 1935, a guy named Leslie Howard. And if you have ever is watched- that the newer one, the 1935 the, one? Or no, the... That's, the, that's the older one, it's black and white. And Leslie Howard actually played Ashley in the original Gone with the Wind. Oh. So he was one of the characters in that story. So you may recognize him, some of you listeners from that. But he played Percy Blakeney, who's the main character. And then there's a more modern version. Anthony Andrews plays Percy Blakeney. And this is, I think, mid-80s it came out. Jane Seymour's in it. Some people know who she is. And Ian McKellen, who played Gandalf, speaking of Lord of the Rings, was actually in it as the bad guy, which is oh. really kind of funny. He was super young in this. I mean, he had to be, yeah. yeah. But it's just such a wonderful story. And it's kind of a romantic adventure, adventure romance, whatever. So it's a really good date night kind of a movie to watch the newer version obviously is in color and stuff and it's a little bit longer there are a couple of scenes that are a little you know that go on for a little too long but the story again and the way he plays this character is just so cool i really recommend it especially as a, like a date night movie it's very very cool scarlet pimpernel and that's it for me cool all right man onward this or that Brendan? I'm going to have you go first at the risk of uh, <laughs> me having to answer some questions about naval engineering sciences. Okay, I only got one of those, though. Okay. I'm, I'm saving you on that. Okay. If you had to choose between invaders or god seekers to take in a, to a competitive event, what would it be? I'd probably go invaders. The icon of infinite excess is pretty tough to pass up. Mm -hmm. Their heroic action is pretty tough to pass up. You know, same with just the overall general hero's ability. Okay. Next, you have to choose between taking a Slanesh or a Corn army. I think right now Corn. I think Corn plays better into the meta, particularly the demon side of things. Having that five mm. up ward against shooting Ooh. and magic, right? Oh, yeah, the magic. You have a five up ignore, and then you have mm. a five up ward for the demon stuff outside of eight inches. I think one of the things that Slanesh falls apart to is the Caradron Overlord shooting. Mm or any other army that can do mortal wounds at range to the heroes, right? That you can effectively get your summoning shut off. In the later game, you can effectively do enough damage to the units that are going to be your euphoric killers to really not be the euphoric killers. So, mm -hmm. okay. All right. A little bit tougher to do against Corn right now. I think Corn answers the field a little bit better. Do you think 
the strength of, and I'm just looking overall again at the book, Slanesh is the volume of damage it can do or the mortal wounds it can do? It's the volume of mortal wounds it can do. So it's, okay. Yeah, I think that's the strength of, in terms of the offensive prowess, I think overall the strength of it lies in getting your buffs to that 36 mark, mm-hmm. right? Army-wide minus one to hit, army-wide extra mortal wounds on sixes to hit, army-wide five-up ward. I mean, mm-hmm. think about five-up ward is native to Nurgle, yeah. right? It is inherent to that book. You are paying for that ward in the war scrolls that you buy for that army. Mm-hmm. You just get it if you know if you can get, obviously, to the depravity level. Sure. So you get to be Nurgle, but also with Rend and Mortal Wounds. You don't get the disease points, but I'm sure you'll get over it. That's exceptionally powerful. That's mm-hmm. where the largest amount of strength in this book lies, I think. Okay. Okay, this next sports question, I know this is heresy, but I'm going to say it anyway. So if the Bucks, if, this is only if, of course, it's mm. total hypothetical. If the Bucks do not make it to the finals. There's a long way between here right. and there, yes. Who do you think the two teams right now will be that will make it to the finals? And, and from what you've seen so far, if the Bucks don't make it. it. Hurts my insides. But I think the Celtics come out of the East. Them and the Bucks live in a different stratosphere when everyone's healthy on the East. And then coming out of the West, I'm sure I'll be hurt at some point by this statement. I really like the way that the Nuggets look. Mm -hmm. Granted, they're playing the Timberwolves, but they're the only team out West who's really handling their own business. Okay. I think the Lakers could do it, but if you're one of those people that believes that the NBA is rigged, which sometimes I don't feel that you're wrong, then it'll be (laughs) Celtics-Lakers because because of course. Because because, Because of money. One of the things that's very interesting is the way that referee assignments work in the Mm -hmm. NBA. And for those that are interested in finding out more, there's a podcast called Basketball Illuminati where Tom Haberstroh and Amin Hassan. Amin used to actually work in the front office for the Phoenix Suns about 15 years ago. He's got some insider. So he understands the inside working of an NBA team, but Tom Haberstroh is... Like, not a full-blown analytics guy, but, you know, like, he understands the numbers. And they explore some of these different things in basketball that are... And they play on the the NBA is rigged. Anomalies. Uh, Yeah, kind of. Exactly. They point out how strange it is that some referees don't ref different individuals. Not just teams, certain players' games. The way that certain players get certain calls and other ones don't. Well... There are some things that that just don't (laughs) smell right sometimes. Sure. Um, I get it. So my last question is an actual, genuine naval engineering question. All right. I answered this question really well last time. I'm sure I'm ready. Okay. Something that all gas turbine-powered naval craft Mm -hmm. have is something called controllable, reversible propellers. Okay. And basically what happens is each propeller blade is on a pivot. And it uses a hydraulic system to change the angle of the propellers. Okay. Independent of the turning of the propellers. So what it can do... Now, is this in the engine or the propeller... It's in the propeller hub itself. So beneath the waterline. Right. Okay. So you can adjust this from the bridge. You can oh, so adjust, you can adjust the individual, like, fins. Right. You can okay. Ad- yeah, and it changes the angle, which changes the angle of attack, which changes the Like your speed, cavitations. Your speed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the question I have for you is, are CRPs, controllable, reversible propellers, better for contingency speed reduction or are they better designed for contingency acceleration? I feel like there's only a right answer here. It's not like an opinion. So I'm sorry, what are my two choices? you repeating the that's great yeah so what do you think crps are better for contingency speed reduction or contingency acceleration i would say probably acceleration mm. 
thinking about it, it is much easier to keep a ship going in the same direction at an increased rate of speed forward than it is to take that same ship and slow it down in the opposite direction. Okay. Your forces are not working together. This is one of the things that I love being assigned and stationed on a gas turbine in fact, the first gas turbine ship... I had studied up on nuclear power before the show, Dan. USS I'm... Spruance <laughs> had gas turbine engines. It was the first ship really to have gas turbine engines. And being an engineering officer, I had to learn some of these things. But the interesting part about CRP is that you had a 563-foot ship. could be doing 15 knots. I want you to think about the inertia it's a lot. and momentum. That ship could literally stop in its own length using CRP. What? Brendan, you could, I mean, it shook the heck out of the ship. I bet it you did. literally could stop the ship in its own length when it was going How 15 knots. How many tons knots, is that? Over 7,000 tons. It could stop that ship. Wow. It was amazing. And so the answer to the question is it's designed for contingency speed reduction because, Brendan... This doesn't feel like a this or that question. The marine <laughs> gas turbine engines... They're essentially jet engines modified for marine use, and they are where you get that massive amount of acceleration. And I had been on an old amphibious ship before this. Coming on board this ship, I thought it was like magic. Mm. <laughs> the things we could do, and, and we did drills where we do these things. Good answer, good question. That's all right. I didn't feel like a this or that question, but fair enough, Dan. But I gave you a choice. You did right? give me a choice. Okay, it was this or that. There was a right answer, though. Yes, that's that true. That seems... <laughs> I'm going to send it to review. Okay. <laughs> Specific answer question, though. It wasn't a non... Right? All right. Okay. <laughs> I'm glad I took it easy on you in all right. my set of questions. I Even me famed for the open-ended question of this yeah, or that. Yeah, see, and this is the thing. That wasn't open-ended. It's true. It was okay. not open-ended. All right, but, so, and uh, I really appreciate I'm going to tell you taking it easy on me after Dave's questions last time. All right. So the first one, real easy <laughs> one here. This is so much fun. Pretenders, Godseekers, or Invaders? Pretenders, I think. Okay. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, you think that's yeah. the runaway clear the best one? I, I like it best. Okay. Yeah. These two are part of like my basic questions every time we do a book review. Yes. Would you rather build a all mortals or all demons list? All demons list. Because, you know, I always have some bizarre list I like building out of a book. Mm -hmm. And to me, it is all about chariots. All about chariots. Oh, absolutely, man. I just look at the damage potential for those things and it's insane. Like it is with the Seekers, but it's demons, right? Yep. So, yeah, for sure. Glutos or a keeper? Ooh. Right? Those are your two big oh, spendy. Glutos, I think. Yeah? For sure. I think he just has such a... I think, first of all, he's much tankier. There's no... I think there's little question 18 about wounds that. and a three-up save. Yes. Automatic ward. Yeah. Much tankier. No-brainer. And he could still do a lot of damage and buff. He could do all kinds... He's kind of an all-purpose tool, I think, in terms of spending those kind of points. I like him for that. I'll stay in the category of Slanesh. If we had to create a category for 48 depravity points accrued, oh, God. what should that ability do? For So, right, so you, get, you have your 12, you have your 24, you have your 36, right? Minus one to hits. Sixes to hit are mortal wounds in addition. And then five up ward. If you get to 48 depravity points, what should you get? Ooh, that's a great question. Right, I'm giving you design of the book. You get to take it to a fourth step. 48 points. What are you doing with it? I'd say it gives the whole army run in charge. Okay. I think that would be good. I think that would be a powerful thing to do. 
since you're trying to get in and do damage. Hmm. I do want to make a correction, though, because I was thinking of the wrong host. The wrong host. So I would pick you God, God Seekers, Seekers because of the command traits, the artifact, etc. That pairs with your chariots. Yes, that's okay. it. Exactly. I think run in charge for the army. All right. Sports question. Ooh. We're about a quarter of the way through the baseball season. <laughs> oh, God. Roughly. No. Don't even ask this. Who are your early World Series teams, Dan? Oh, Brendan. Yeah, well, okay, so Cindy gave the answer that I'm th- just... You think Tampa's just going to take it all? so hard It doesn't matter who else is going to play? No. I mean... You think it's going to be a just, runaway season? Like, are we talking 120 you know, wins? Well, no. I mean, oh, nobody man. goes above 75%. Nobody even gets close to 70%. But, you know, and it's a 160-some game season. So how you do in the first 30 games could be very non-indicative but if you're asking me at this point right today it's tampa i don't have an answer i I can't think of another team you're definitely certain on tampa though yeah at at this point in the season okay and obviously in another 100 games that could change a lot it certainly does yeah Uh, that's it those are my five five. okay wow all right man yeah my fault for taking it easy on you uh i'll go back to the drawing board i'll take it no (laughs) awesome I'm going to have you start charting out the correct offensive schemes to defeat a 3-4 defense no, with, uh, no. with three safeties. So, no, you know, not it's... happening. <laughs> oh, God. Okay. Over to show close. Show close time. There is something going on around here. Something you may not even know about. We're recording on Monday. The only Sunday announcement was... It's Monday. Stuff, yeah. Q&A, anything for you? I do have a question. Okay. From, I'm really just going to start handing this section over to Alex and his wife. Because <laughs> uh, they've come up with, I think, like my last three or four. That's funny. The question was, was what do you and Dan do to excess? Right, since we're talking about the... That's a good uh, question. The Slanesh Battle Tome. Over different periods of my life, it's been different things. I did very competitive gymnastics for about a decade, and that was my, like, entire life. Like, I'd obviously go to school and things like that, but, like, in high school, after practice, my free time was spent watching YouTube videos of gymnastics routines and studying technique and stretching and doing... Mm. and practicing technique, you know, for... A period of time, right? It was college for a period of time. You know, maybe some would argue still, right? Warhammer consumed my mm-hmm. every minute of my being. Uh, certainly less so now. Yes. You know, work has uh, largely over the last couple of years been the thing I've done the most of. I mean, right now to excess. I mean, I probably eat an excessive amount of pizza. Okay. Like, <laughs> That's the, all right. <laughs> Like Glutose. That's, like that's been consistent throughout my life. Glutose Melnick. That's <laughs> funny. So I, I think okay. that's I think that's my answer. So early in my life, probably when I was in my mid twenties, early to mid twenties, I engaged in way too many high risk activities, sports in particular. I was a rock climber and a mountain climber. That's pretty high risk. I never free climbed, which is, that's just stupid. But I did climb some pretty challenging mountains and I did bungee jumping, things like that, that were really high risk. Why? I don't know. Just because I was at that point in my life. Yeah. So that was, I did a fair amount of that and spent a lot of time traveling to do those things. You're a young man and you feel invincible. I'm very familiar. (laughs) Okay. I would say for the last, and I know my wife will shake her head up and down for this, is like really doing 
like an excess of research on RVs and stuff. I spent a lot of time doing that and I acknowledge this. And so, you know, sometimes you just got to say what you got to say. It's an illness. Yeah. So you have to acknowledge it first, right? Yeah. Knowledge is power. Yeah. And then I know there was a time and I think it's less now because I'm trying to do other things. Like I'm trying to read more, you know, recently taken up trying to learn the guitar. I'm just trying to do some different things. I know that I was playing way, way too much computer games. And again, I acknowledge that. I think I've done a lot better job of doing other things besides that. Right now to excess, I think probably I'm a little more balanced in the activities that I do. I try not to do too much of any of those. And when I do, I think I'm a little more self-aware that I'm like, okay, I need to just stop, go to the other room, pick up a book or do something else. Sure. Yeah. So that's a great question though. I don't have any questions, but yeah. Thank you, Alex and wife. That's awesome. Okay. Episode 121 will be spring rubicon recap it sure will rubicon's coming up in four days now five days and so we'll do a recap on that and then the plan at least is that we will hit up soul blight and obr after that yep and then seraphon so it takes us into summer honestly well we got to get our hands on a seraphon book first we, we, will, we will at some point yeah yeah you think by the time we're going to do the book i think we'll have it okay yeah i don't know <laughs> Skeptical. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Oh, man, it's just, it's a crazy world, my friend. Well, I mean, it's also consistent with the release schedule, right? So the Slaves of Darkness book didn't come out until January. Right. But the early book Mm -hmm. came out early November. Sure. Which was two months. Yeah, but I mean... We don't have two months of shows between... This is going to take us, this and Rubicon is going to take us through May. Okay. Because the way we're posting... We're kind of recording ahead. Next bit through June. Right, okay. next bit through June. So we're talking July for All right. our next book. you know book. what? I'm more on board. Are yep. you, you okay right. with that? Yeah, because our two books will take us through June. And then and obviously we have to do a 10th edition episode. Right. Yeah, I don't know. I, <laughs> we might have, we'll figure out who to have on board for that one. I don't know, for sure. A hard maybe. Yeah, right, for sure. And then we got General's Handbook coming up relatively soon. I True. mean, you know, this early summer, Yeah. I think. So that's what, July usually? Yeah. June, July? Uh, it's going to be before 10th. They'd be crazy to drop 10th, and they're yeah. like, and also the handbook. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll have Tyler on board for that again, so that'll be great. Yeah, so we got plans. Plans within plans. Yeah, there's no Zinch <laughs> episode coming up, though. No, so. no, no. Sorry about that, folks. All I'm right. Not. Well, Brendan, thank you, my man. Appreciate yeah. you swinging by and getting home to the... Watching the score tick over on my tablet. Things are and looking good here. And hopefully it's ticking over more on the buck side well, than it is Well, you know, the... Uh, per the NBA agreements, you know, I cannot legally disseminate the no. score and nature of the game without the prior written consent of the National Basketball Association. Yes, of course. Of which I do not have. I am watching the score of the game. That's good enough. And the inflection in your voice says it all i am not dismayed okay (laughs) it's fair and listeners thank you for coming on board i had a great time recording this episode this was a fun one this was great my friend all right so you guys all take care we'll see some of you this weekend which is great yeah Uh, a lot of people that i haven't seen forever blenner and (laughs) others will be great to just hang out and see you all again otherwise everybody Take care, stay safe, and remember, don't forget shenanigans because life is better when you are up to something. Bye. This is the end.